Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. Now. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Live from Atlanta, here's John Canzano with a bomb-faced truth. It's true. I'm in Atlanta, and I'm not alone. There are a lot of Ducks fans walking around downtown Atlanta. Walked through the, uh, the Olympic Park, seeing some Oregon fans posing for photographs, heading off to the College Football Hall of Fame Museum, and... The flags are flying. There's some Georgia flags that were flying on cars and in parking lots. Some Georgia fans are here early as well. Big football game on Saturday. We've been talking about it all, what, since December? Man, we've been talking about this all year. This football game's going to happen. we got a great show today. I'm coming at you live from downtown Atlanta. Anna's here as well. Anna, tell the people what it's like in Atlanta. Give them an idea. It is hot Atlanta that lives up to its name, but mostly what I've noticed is just how friendly everybody is. Like, it's a lot of ma'am and courtesy, and I, I, I rather enjoy it here. I, I have loved everyone that I've met so far. A little bit of hospitality is what you're saying. I, yes, yes. I have found that as well, and we are doing this show from downtown Atlanta. We are in the studios of 92.9 Atlanta Sports Radio. I went on their afternoon drive show just a few minutes ago in Atlanta to talk about Marcus Mariota and to talk about this game. And you're right. Like, I just think it's a different mentality. It's a big-time college football game, which is great. And the pac 12s involved in a big-time game. But the pac 12s got some big games this weekend. I'll go through my picks for the weekend, why I'm leaning the way I'm leaning. I am picking Oregon to play Georgia close but not win the game. I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you what could change my mind in the next, what, 24 to 48 hours as Oregon and Georgia prepare to meet at the Mercedes-Benz Zone. But, yeah, Anna's right. Uh, Steven, i got to tell you, man, you walk outside here in Atlanta, it's 90 degrees, 91 degrees, feels like about 105. It's humid. Uh, there are, uh, you know, a lot of people wanting to talk college football, but an unusual number of Ducks fans met some BFT listeners even at lunch who walked over and said, hey, I'm, I'm a longtime listener. I've listened to you for years, and where are you doing the show from? Unfortunately, they can't come into the studios here in downtown Atlanta to, uh, to watch the show. I don't know. Watching radio, though, is overblown. I think listening to radio is where it's at. But, Stephen, man, what do people in Oregon want to know about this game? I mean, I, I I was more interested just to hear about what the vibes were, and you brought you said it right there. A lot of Duck fans that you've seen, maybe they've traveled a little early, but Duck fans seem like they're excited. I think just on the field-wise, I think it's all about the quarterbacks. There's a lot of promos right now going around on Twitter and you know on the TV, and it has Bo Nix of the Ducks on the cover. He hasn't even been named the starting quarterback of the Ducks yet, and he's being thrown about there. So I think that question has been really brought up uh, locally is who's actually playing quarterback for the Ducks? Do they know something we don't know? I mean, we, yeah, all, assume, it, we all assume it's Bo Nix, but we don't know that for sure. There's been a lot of promos out there showing off Bo Nix. Yeah, I think you know Dan Lanning has been successful in kind of muddying the, the waters on that one, but I think, I think it's got to be Bo Nix, right? Like I, everybody's thinking about that when I talk to – the radio hosts here in Atlanta, they all expected Bo Nix to be the starter, and 
they talked about him, and they said, look, when Bo Nix plays against Georgia, like the end result wasn't good for Auburn over the years with Bo Nix at quarterback, but the uh, both hosts said, look, he gives us about 20 uncomfortable minutes at the beginning of every game, and and, and what I really think Oregon is looking for from Bo Nix is not Bo Nix to like put this game on his shoulders and carry him to the promised land. That's not what Oregon needs out of Bo Nix in this game. Maybe Auburn needed that. But what Oregon needs is Oregon needs the offensive line, those five starters that are coming back, Mario Cristobal's guys. Uh, they need that offensive line to be able to uh, keep possession of the ball and move the chains and get five and six and seven yard carries here and there. We saw how hard fought uh, the yards were in Oregon's matchup against Auburn a couple of years ago uh, at AT&T Stadium. We watched it against Ohio State a year ago. If you can maintain some semblance of control with that offensive line, you take a lot of pressure off Bo Nix, and I think Oregon's defense will be fine by and large. But, yeah, Stephen's first question, Anna, to me, because I started talking to him a little bit ago, was he said, what's the vibe there? What is the vibe? What would you say the vibe is here in Atlanta on – what is Thursday before a big game? I it's like the Portland girl in me. I geek out whenever I see people in Oregon gear because like it's so crazy to me. I you know I personally have never like been so passionate about a team that I would travel that distance and spend all that money to go across like literally to the other side of the country to support the team like that. So I'm so impressed by the showing that we've already seen from Oregon fans. I find myself running up to them and just saying hello to be like, oh, hi, we're here too, and offering to take their picture in front of the Olympic rings at Centennial Park, you know, that sort of thing. Um, But it's very exciting, you know, and I think they feel like it's a big deal. They're pumped for the game. I think Oregon as an entity has done a phenomenal job uh, you know, just creating the buzz around this team and preparing for this game. And I'm just hoping that Oregon has a good showing in it. Yeah, it, and it's really interesting. I tweeted out a photo of the Olympic rings at Centennial Park. And, Stephen, I think you retweeted it or you liked it. Like, I just, I just kind of posted it. But if you look closely at the photo, take a look at the green Olympic ring. It's an O, right, for Oregon? It's a green Olympic ring. But take a closer look at the green ring. I didn't realize this when I shot the photo. But when you zoom in on that green ring, there's a duck fan perfectly situated in the middle of the green Olympic ring who's walking through the Olympic Park with a green Oregon shirt on. I mean, it's like it's it, the Oregon fans are here. And, and look, we, were, we went to lunch. We went to, uh, what is it? Jimmy, Margaritaville. Margaritaville. Jimmy Buffett's, you know Margaritaville, Stephen? <laughs> I, you know I do, yeah. I do actually okay. know what that is. Okay. Uh, it's a chain for anybody who <laughs> wants to know. You know Margaritaville. This is not like, <laughs> it's a chain. But we're in Margaritaville. There's at least four other tables that are people from the state of Oregon who are eating. Okay? There's at least four other tables. So as we're sitting there, a, uh, a guy in an Oregon shirt waves at me from across the way. And then he gets up and he comes over to me and he walks over and he says, hey, I'm Trey. I listen to the show, right? Well, Trey on Twitter uh, is, is always tweeting at me, okay? So I know, I feel like I know the guy. Never met him before, but I feel like I know the guy. But Trey says to me, uh, Trey says, you know what I love about Atlanta? And Trey, Trey is African-American, Okay. And he's built like a middle linebacker. Like, he is, like, big, strong guy. Trey says to me, you know what I love about being in Atlanta? He says, 
I'm driving down the freeway and I'm walking down the street and he says, I get to see other black people. He says, I don't get that in the state of Oregon. He was so happy. He was so charming and, and such an authentic conversation to have as we were talking about. But he and his wife and they were there with two other friends. They said, look, we're going to get a chance on this trip. And like a lot of Duck fans that I think are making this a trip. He says, we're going to the College Football Hall of Fame, which is right across Centennial Park. They're going to walk around. And then he said, and then comes Saturday. And he started waving his hands together, talking about what is going to happen on Saturday. Kind of wringing his hands like, you know, like he couldn't wait. It was like a, the, the feeling I had, and maybe this is the feeling that a lot of college football ha- fans have in the run-up to week one, is that like, look, this isn't the season after a pandemic where we're wondering what the stadiums are going to feel like. This isn't like, uh, you know, a season in the pandemic where no fans were in the stadium. This is like the second time we're going back to normal. I think we all know what it's going to be like in the stadium. We all know the games are going to be fantastic. And frankly, I'm sick and tired of all the expansion talk and all the talk about realignment and the college football playoff. Yes, 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 we'll talk about all that stuff. But I, I want to see some games played, and I'm excited for the Pac-12 games this season. Yeah. And I love, too, oh, that... <laughs> Sorry, the... I didn't know who he was talking to. Go for it, Anna. Oh, I, I was going to say there's that added drama, too, of Dan Lanning returning to Georgia, right? And seeing, you know, how does the crowd here <laughs> receive him? And, you know, how does the pressure of being a first-time head coach, aside from that basketball team he coached, that third-grade basketball team or whatever it was, how does that pressure, uh, you know, hold up against everything that that is happening on the field? That drama, that whole, like... That plot line, I'm very interested in. We'll talk a little on today's show about Marcus Mariota as well, because people in Atlanta are talking about Marcus Mariota. I'll tell you what they're saying. But, Stephen, are you ready, man? Are you? This is exciting. I know that you've got probably got a dog in the fight in all these games, but this is this is a, like you know here we are on Thursday. We are we are essentially 48 hours away from being knee deep into college football. Yeah, no, I am super psyched about this. I mean. It seems like there's a pretty good schedule outside of even the Oregon Georgia game, but you know, like we've talked about, Oregon State, Boise State, Oregon Georgia, like those are two of the bigger games this week, and it's in the local area. So I'm I'm really excited to see uh, Dan Lanning and his first game because you know Anna talks about the pressure on the Oregon you know coaching staff and all this, but I you know, I kind of question like how much pressure really is on there because it doesn't seem like it's a lot of people picking them to win or, you know, some people think it'll be close, but I mean, how close is it going to be? Is there really a lot of pressure on Dan Landing right now? I just want to see how they react to everything because it's going to be a hostile environment. I know you guys are talking about some duck fans there, but we all know it's a road game, right? It's not a neutral site. So how do the ducks come out and react to the crowd and everything? That I'm just excited about the whole atmosphere, man. We haven't even talked about dragon con that is going on in downtown Atlanta as well. It is the, the uh, basically Comic Con, but for like dragon lovers, and you know they're having these conventions. Five hotels in downtown Atlanta, sixty thousand people dressed in costume. Literally, you see superheroes walking down the street, and people uh, into Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead and all of that stuff. Um, and as we were leaving the hotel to come to the radio studio, there there were uh, there was a guy and a girl, man and a woman, walking down the street. Uh, they look. They're in tights. They they were dressed as superheroes or something. I don't know what they were dressed. What were they dressed as? I'm not sure. There was a lot of spandex and shiny like latex. Not a good Involved. Uh, her outfit, yeah, inv- involved fishnet tights. We've seen a lot of leather corsets. 
um, it's it really kind of spans the spectrum. It's funny because you've got the mix. You know, the Oregon fans are very obvious. You can tell who they are. And uh, alternately, the, the Dragon Con folks, they've got a very uh, specific look, and you can tell who they are as well. 64,000 for the Dragon Con, <laughs> 71,000 for the football game. About 6,000, about 6,500 Oregon fans are expected at the stadium. So Stephen's right. It'll be a predominantly pro-Georgia uh, crowd, obviously, they are the defending national champions. They're playing within an hour of their campus. Uh, it is going to be uh, a really tough environment for Oregon to be in. But I agree with Stephen that if you think about the pressure in this game, it will change in two weeks. In two weeks, as Oregon is preparing to host BYU at Autzen Stadium, I think there's going to be a ton of pressure on Oregon to win that game and play well at home. But I think this one is house money. It's Dan Lanning's first game. Nobody's expecting him to win the game, right? Uh, 17 and a half point spread in Vegas uh, screams. So I think this is an opportunity for Dan Lanning, who's very familiar with Georgia, and for Bo Nix, who's got a lot to prove to people in the SEC territory, that they can come in here and play well against a team that people regard as a contender in the SEC. Coming up, I'm going to give my picks for the Pac-12 weekend. I'll tell you why and what could change in the next 48 hours. I didn't pick Oregon to win, but there is a scenario or you could build a case for Oregon winning this game against Georgia. I want your picks as well. We've talked all about what the most important games in the Pac-12 are. Beaver fans, Jonathan Smith on today's show. Jaden Grant on today's show. We're going to have a lot of Oregon State on today's show, but we are live from Atlanta. The bald-faced truth on the road. We go where the action is. Leave it right here. Live from Atlanta, this is the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. I'm in Atlanta. Anna's in Atlanta. We are here uh, thanks to the uh, good people at 92.9 The Game. I appreciate them uh, hosting us here in the BFT on the road. Statewide in Oregon, I want your phone calls, whether you're listening in Eugene or Klamath Falls or Roseburg or in the Portland metropolitan area and into southern Washington Give me your picks for the Pac-12 games. Tell me what you think's going to happen. Tell me whether or not you buy the narrative that it's important, it's a must-win for Utah, or a must-strong showing for Oregon, or a must-win for Oregon State against Boise State. I'll take your phone calls. Uh, let's talk about that. I'm going to go through my picks. Anna, if you uh, if you have something to add, go ahead and chime in. Uh, Steven's going to do that as well. You're not big on picks, though, are, are you, Anna? You're more into, like, stadium atmosphere and what people are eating at the game. 100%. All right. So here we go. Away <laughs> we go. Uh, I am in Atlanta. So here we go. Let's start with tonight's game. It's a 7 p.m. kickoff on the Pac-12 Networks. Northern Arizona and Arizona State. By the way, Arizona State has 51 new players in uniform this season. That is the top Number in the Pac-12. They have the most new guys. 51 new players. Uh, They lost their top three rushers from last season. Their top four receivers from last season. Herm Edwards, though, 6-0 in non-conference games. uh, And they're playing Northern Arizona. 1-17 all-time against the Pac-12. I like Arizona State 38-10 over Northern Arizona. 
Yeah, I mean, nothing to disagree with you there. I, it's, Arizona State is one of those intriguing teams we talked about. Had some talent but lost a lot of guys. How is the program really going to function? But, yeah, Northern Arizona, I think it's an easy win for Arizona State. Bowling Green at UCLA. or Actually, let's go to the Friday game. TCU at Colorado on Friday, 7 o'clock Friday night on ESPN. Uh, the Buffs are playing a Big 12 team in the regular season for the first time since leaving the Big 12. So a little bit of intrigue there. Some Pac-12, Big 12 drama this offseason. The Big 12 fans, Pac-12 fans not getting along. The commissioner's not getting along either. But TCU's good. They have eight straight wins over Pac-12 opponents. Colorado's at home, but in the middle of a rebuild. I think TCU wins this one. I had it at 31-17. Colorado struggled to score points a year ago. Um, I, I think you know they, they really struggled to get to 20 points a year ago. I think TCU is a bad matchup in week one for them. Yeah, this betting market has been crazy. It started out around 7. It's up to 13.5, TCU's favorite now. So um, I actually like Colorado to keep it somewhat close. I think they lose by about 10. Uh, but I think it, you know being at home in Boulder week one, I think that's going to pay dividends. Colorado's going to come out and be really excited the first time. I think they keep it close, but TCU will get the win. Let's go to Saturday's early game, 11.30 a.m. Pacific time on the Pac-12 Networks. It's Bowling Green at UCLA. UCLA's playing a cupcake non-conference schedule. Anna set up. You heard cupcake. Uh, and uh, so I think, look, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, this is an interesting stat that the uh, the researchers uh, found out about. We have a research team that's phenomenal here. Um, he is the first fifth-year starter in the history of the Pac-12 conference. He's the first fifth-year starter at quarterback in all of college football. Dorian Thompson-Robinson has 35 career starts. He gets number 36 against Bowling Green. I think UCLA is going to roll at home. I have it 41-3. to Chip Kelly and UCLA in the game going, you know, eh, I don't know. We're pretty good. we got, we got a lot of work to do. we got to clean up some things. But that's what I think happens. Yeah, I agree. I think UCLA has heard all the talk about USC and Lincoln Riley coming in, and that offense, when they return the quarterback, they return Dorian Thompson-Robinson, fifth-year starter. I think they put it on Bowling Green. They score a lot, and they kind of try to make a statement in week one that, you know what, we have just as good an offense as they do at USC. Arizona's at San Diego State, 1230 CBS. Uh, here's a Mountain West Pac-12 matchup, uh, and I think San Diego State fans are probably reading too much into this game. I hear a lot of chatter about, oh, we got to win this game because it means that the Pac-12 will take better notice. Now, there's no one game or one season or even probably two seasons that's going to shift the mindset of a conference when it comes to either adding or not adding a program. But San Diego State, this is a big game for them. They're opening Snapdragon Stadium. I think Arizona is vastly improved. Jed Fish has done a nice job. He had added 21 players via the transfer portal in, in the last two seasons, including Jaden Delore at quarterback. Um, the game is not yet a sellout. 33,000 seats at Snapdragon Stadium. But uh, I think the problem, uh, the reason why it's not a sellout is the cheapest ticket is $178, which is ridiculous uh, to get into a college football game. I think Arizona can hang around in this one. But I think San Diego State's a little better. This was the game that gave me the most trouble when I went to make a pick. I have it San Diego State 28, Arizona 24. You know, maybe call me a Pac-12 homer here, but I, the, as more time's gone on, I like Arizona in this game. I think Arizona has the uh, has the uh, um, the upgrade at quarterback and the better coach. And I think those are two really important things, right? The coaches Brady Hoke and Braxton Burmeister, former Duck at San Diego State. I think at Arizona, Jaden Delora, Jet Fish, I think they got the upgrade or they're uh, better at that both those spots. 
that's probably the most important thing in football. So I actually kind of think Arizona goes in there and gets the win. We've talked about how improved they are. I think they go in and surprise some folks. Oregon at Georgia, 1230 on ABC. Dan Lanning's first game. I think this comes down to Bo Nix. If Bo Nix and Oregon's offense can move the ball, Oregon's in this game. I'm betting on them to move the ball. I think the defense at Oregon will keep this game close. I have it, Georgia 27, Oregon 20, and I think it's going to be a fun game. I disagree with you on this one. I think Georgia's going to get the win by more than the spread here. My problem is I just don't know what the Oregon offense is going to do. I think that they're just going to struggle, and it's going to put a lot of pressure on that defense, which I think is really good, but they're going to have to cause a turnover or do something crazy, whether it's flow or Sewell, you know, get a sack, fumble, an interception, get the Ducks' offense in good field position. I don't know that they'll be able to do that. I like Georgia big. UC Davis at Cal, 1 p.m. on Pac-12 Bay Area. Cal has only three starters from the offensive side of the ball back. Uh, Jack Plummer, their quarterback's a transfer from Purdue. Uh, this is a big sky Pac-12 matchup. Cal wins at 34-10 over UC Davis. Yeah, no, no disagree there. It will be fun to watch Jack Plummer see if the offense can get going a little bit over there, Cal. Rice at USC, 3 p.m. on the Pac-12 networks. Yogi Roth uh, uh, on the broadcast on TV. He'll get the first look at Lincoln Riley's offense. I don't think we're going to learn anything in this game. Rice is coming off its seventh straight losing season. I think this is the perfect patsy in week one for USC and the hype machine. Caleb Williams is going to throw four TD passes, maybe five. The train rolls on. USC 42, Rice 7. I'm going to plug my nose, and I'm going to take Rice into 32 points and hope that uh, they can get maybe a couple touchdowns against that defense, which we don't know if it's going to be good, right? That's the weakness of USC. We're not going to learn anything, but I'm going to hold my nose, pick Rice. I like you holding your nose there. Utah at Florida, 4 p.m. on ESPN. This is the most important game of the opening weekend for Pac-12. And this is the team that everybody's picking to win the conference, the Utes, against uh, you know a Florida team that's in a rebuild under uh, Billy Napier. Kyle Whittingham, uh, I trust him immensely. He's coming off a Pac-12 title. He's got his quarterback back. Uh, But Florida has the nation's longest active home win streak. They've won 32 in a row at the Swamp, and uh, it's a tough place to play. I like Utah in this game. I think Utah covers the two-and-a-half to three-point spread. Utah 30, Florida, Florida 21. I'm going to go opposite. I think Florida's going to get the win and, unfortunately, knock Utah out of the top 10. I I love Anthony Richardson at quarterback. He hasn't been able to stay healthy in his first year, but he's great. Billy Napier, I think it's a good hire. And Florida seemed like they quit on Dan Mullen last year, so they still have some good talent there. I think Florida's going to surprise some folks and be closer towards you know 9-10 wins at the SEC rather than 7, which they're projected at. Tomorrow we'll have Bill Riley, the voice of Utah Athletics, on the show from Gainesville. Colgate's at Stanford, 5 p.m., Pac-12 Bay Area. My Stanford friends are really down on David Shaw. He went 3-9 and nine a year ago, but he's got his quarterback, Tanner McKee, back. He also has 87% of the total offensive snaps from last season back. Stanford is sneaky this year. I think they handle Colgate easily 35-7. Totally agree. Stanford has a tough schedule, but uh, this is the one, one of their easy wins that they got. I think they uh, get this one done easy. Another easy game to call. Idaho's at Washington State, 630 on the Pac-12 Networks. I, I'm excited to see Cam Ward play in this offense, but uh, again, uh, Washington State 35 Idaho 14, not much of a ta- challenge. Yeah, another game we're not going to learn much, but it will be fun to watch Cam Ward in that coup-grade offense. This game is the second most important game in the conference. Boise State going to Oregon State, 7.30 on ESPN Saturday night. Uh, this is a big game. The Broncos, though, see, everybody, when you think of Boise State, I think you're thinking of Boise State from two, three, four, ten 10 years ago. 
Last year, they lost five games. I know they're more experienced. I know their quarterback's experienced. But I like Oregon State in this game. And if Oregon State is going to take a step forward, this is a game the Beavers win. I have it Oregon State 27, Boise State 20. Man, I want to pick Oregon State, but they haven't won an opener since 2015, haven't won a season opener against an FBS school since 2012, and haven't won a week one game against an FBS school since 2007. So I... I want to pick Oregon State. I know they're favored by two and a half. I think Boise State is going to go into Corvallis and get it done with you know half the crowd there and Andy Avalos not feeling pressure, but you know getting a little pressure put behind him. I think Boise State actually pulls the upset here. We'll talk to Jaden Grant, team captain, coming up in the next segment. Kent State in the nightcap at Washington, seven thirty FS1 broadcast. Kalen DeBoer's first game. Um, you know Kent State isn't bad. They made the MAC title game last year. But Washington is 12-2 and in its last 14 home openers. I think Washington rolls in this game 34-13. And I think, uh, you know, if it goes as I think it's going to go this week, I think the Pac-12 kind of feels okay about itself. But what do you see in that one? I agree. I, I'm excited to watch Michael Penix Jr. Again, we talked about this. If he can stay healthy, what is the ceiling for this Washington team? It could be higher than we're all kind of assuming. So I'm excited to watch that game. I think Washington uh, wins easily. Let's go to the phone lines. Gary's in Tualatin. He wants to weigh in on what's going to happen this weekend. Go ahead, Gary. What do you got? Hey, hey, John. Go Ducks. Well, I obviously picked twelve and zero, so you know where I'm picking this one. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. but I think that really the big issue is uh, at the quarterback. Uh, is uh, unless unless Bo is head and shoulders above Ty, you play Ty. Uh, the conservative play is to play Bo, obviously. Uh, that's what uh, what we are all expecting. But if you want to make a mark on your team, you play tie, and you, you play to the future. And, and then it is Lanning's team from here on out. Yeah, I, I, uh, I wonder, though, if you put him into that situation in front of 71,000 people for, you know, I could see bringing him in and letting him play a series. I could see him coming in and letting him, you know, play a couple series in this game. But I think Dan Lanning, the defensive-minded coach that he is, is not going to want to throw a kid on the stage if he doesn't know a kid's prepared for it. And we know Bo Nix can handle the stage. So I think Bo Nix is the easy decision at quarterback. And, and you know, uh, normally you do see a locker room, like some part of the locker room likes one quarterback, likes another one. I think I would be surprised if there's that kind of division right now in that Oregon locker room. Sean's in Vancouver. Sean, welcome to the conversation. Hey, so my take on, on kind of the, the, the Pac-12 as a whole is, you know, for, for the Pac-12 to get taken seriously, all three of those teams have to win. I think if any one of them loses, um, you know, the rest of the nation already views the Pac-12 as just another Mountain West or Conference USA. Um, if they win all three of those games, maybe the rest of the nation starts to look. But even if Oregon managed to win the game, the rest of the nation won't be talking about how great Oregon was. They'll be talking about how Georgia was depleted on defense. And, yeah, it's true. Um, you know, well, it's you know the first game of the season and all those things. It won't be, hey, look how great Oregon was, except locally, of course. Yeah, that happened after the Ohio State game in week two of last season. That's why I think it's really important for, like, the games that I think the conference has to win to walk tall is Utah at Florida, and I think Oregon State at, you know, playing against Boise State. I, I don't think anybody's expecting Oregon to, to win that game outright. They're just looking to, they're curious to see what Oregon's going to be about. Uh, I think further than that, you know, if, if Steven's pick of Arizona 
over San Diego State comes true and the Pac-12 somehow goes you know, 2-0 and against the Mountain West Conference, it's going to be a much different story than a year ago where we saw San Diego State and BYU beating up on the Pac-12 Conference. Coming up, Jaden Grant, team captain at Oregon State. I'm broadcasting live from Atlanta. You're here with me. you got the bald-faced truth. This is the BFT in the ATL, presented by Chamba. Smoothies, juices, and bowls. Chamba is always the right play on 750 The Game. Jaden Grant, team captain, Oregon State. Just found out something about Jaden. He's got his own custom Jamba. That's right, you can get... His Boba Jam. What is that about? This segment brought to you by Jamba. Jaden Grant uh, joining us. Big game coming up this week. Uh, you're you're finally going to have a game. You stoked, man? Uh, yeah, man. It's, it's been awesome, you know, going at it for so so long in fall camp, you know, uh, battling with the guys. But uh, I think we're all finally ready, you know, strap it up and uh, go to war together and uh, face somebody who's not, you know, orange and black. Give us an idea, because you, you're there at practice. You can look around and see where you guys are have improved. The biggest area of improvement for this team from last year to this year is what? <laughs> um, you know, without going into any X's and O's, I just think, um, you know, our overall cohesiveness and, um, you know, obviously maturity um, on and off the field. And I just think our overall approach, um, you know, the, the little things, um, that, you know, not not really the X's and O's is, is what's going to, you know, take us to that next level this year. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, when you guys voted for team captains, there were 27 different players that got a vote. And I think that says a lot about sort of the respect that's in that locker room. That's very unusual to see 27 different players get a vote. Yeah, and I definitely credit that to Coach Smith's culture that he's, you know, built over in the program over the past, you know, four or five years. And uh, just to have, you know, that many guys who, you know, somebody, whether it's a young guy or old guy, can point to and say, you know, I, I choose that guy to lead me. It's an incredible thing to have. And, um, and you know, it's a beautiful, a beautiful thing about our team and about the culture that, you know, we've created here at Oregon State. All right. Give me, give me an idea from your standpoint. You know, seventh-year player. Uh, you know, I've written about you. I thought Nick Daschle did a great job. He did a piece on you yesterday. And he sort of revealed that there were moments where, you know, you, you, you thought about, quitting you thought about not coming back there was even you know some question about you getting a scholarship what kept you going at those moments where you were sort of questioning whether to come back um, I honestly think my faith is a big thing that kept me going um, but just also the you know the thought of uh, what if you know the thought of looking five years five years later down the line and looking back like dang I wish I would have you know kept going or I wish I would have did this or you know just the thought of living with that regret of not trying or, you know, not doing everything I can to try to, you know, accomplish my dreams and my goals and aspirations. So I, I think that's really what, what kept me going. Um, and then obviously I have amazing people in my corner. You know, I have my family, um, you know, my brother. I know Nick wrote about my brother who was a big piece of, um, you know, that time of my, my first, one of my first workouts um, had passed out. And, uh, you know, after the workout, I just felt like, you know, it wasn't for me. And my brother just, you know, set my head on straight and, you know, kept me going. So, you know, definitely credit the, you know, the people in my support system. Give me an idea of what that. Big factor in keeping me going. Give me an idea of what that workout was like. So, you know, you all, you, you passed out. Like, give us an idea of what you were doing when that happened. 
It was, there's a, there's one part of the workout where it was like a 600 pound sled, like 550, something like that. And you have to push it 10 yards, um, and then you have to push it back 10 yards. And, you know, I'm coming in 165 pounds. I could barely move it. I was moving it inch by inch. And, you know, I was holding my breath, trying to push so hard. And I actually, you know, fell out. So that was the part. I didn't even finish the rest of the workout. You know, there's a bunch of hard things the rest of the workout. But, yeah, that was it for me that day. Jaden Grant is with us, Oregon State team captain, defensive back, uh, he is. Uh, he also has a Jamba. What happened with the Jamba? Like you got to de- like. Remember, just last year we were talking about. Hey, you know, Jamba should be should be uh, sponsoring this segment. You know, you should have an NIL deal with Jamba. Now here you are. I see you got a one of the Jambas named for you, or did you get to create it? What happened? Uh, so yeah, it's something that um, me and Steve Foltz, um amazing person who I've got to you know grow a relationship with. Um, you know, came up with the idea of, of creating a, a new smoothie, also launching, you know, Jamba's um, boba, new boba. Um, so it comes out, and um, I think, you know, next few weeks, I'm not so sure on a date. Uh, definitely don't, don't take my word for the date. I know it comes out soon. And um, the cool thing about this one is that, um, you know, part of the proceeds go to the Brian Ground Foundation, which is my dad's foundation. So um, that's something I'm really um, excited and, and happy about, too. I think it's great. Uh, you guys will get Boise State on Saturday. Uh, this is a big game, and this is a game where you're favored. You're at home. It's going to be strange to be in a half-full stadium, but I think it'll be rocking in there with 27,000 fans. Uh, give us an idea of what you are expecting and what you're, you know, this is this is your last year of college ball. Like, every time you suit up, it has to feel special. Yeah. Yeah, and that definitely for sure. I mean, for me personally, just going into it, um, you know, week one, just thinking, you know, can't take anything for granted. Uh, same thing with how I approach, you know, every single day, um, every single practice, every single rep. So, um, but, you know, looking at Boise State, you know, you always know that they're a, a really good football team. Um, they're a football team that's going to be well coached and they're going to be, you know, very disciplined. I think they have um, a tremendous amount of, of uh, experience, you know, on both sides of the ball. So it's going to be one of those games where, you know, you, they're not going to give you anything. They're not going to mess up. Um, you're going to have to earn it every single snap. And uh, that's exactly the type of challenge that uh, I think this team is looking forward to and, and, and really needs. Give me an idea how different it feels now than two, three, four, five, six years ago when games were coming and you were preparing. I mean, it's just com- it's completely different. You know, it's it's almost black and white. Um, but the process has, has been the same. You know, the message that you know Coach Smith and, and staff has been preaching has been the same. It's, it's really how the players have responded and, and embodied the process. Um, you know, just focusing, like I said, you know, on a day in day out basis. You know, when you're in practice, um, you know, focusing on each rep, you know, and then moving on to the next one. And it's just all about overall improvement. Um, you know, not only improving yourself on the field. But, um, you know, improving yourself off the field as well. So um, that's what I would say is the biggest difference from now is just the overall buy-in and, and you know, past buy-in, just people, how people are embodying the culture here. We haven't been in that stadium. You've been in Research Stadium during the renovation quite a bit. I, last time I was there was a spring game inside the stadium. But what are you expecting? How weird is it going to be to have half the stadium or have you prepared for that? And psychologically, how do you think that will, that will play out with both teams? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I'm, 
it's going to be great having, you know, a full set of stands, 26, 27,000, however many it be. It's going to be. And, um, you know, to be honest, after that COVID year, nothing really is, is going to, you know, throw us off guard. I don't think so. I think we'll be all right. I know that Richard will be rocking. All right. Uh, Film-wise, can you prep for a game like this? Do you look at last year's Boise State film? I mean, I, the, I think the advantage is Boise State's got a whole bunch of guys coming back, including the quarterback. So is there something you can get from that, or do you rely more on just you know your game plan doing what you guys do well? Uh, no, you definitely, you know, you definitely look at the tape from um, last year. You know, all, all the things you do in, you know, film studying tendencies or whatever it may be. Um, you know, Boise State, you know, like I said, they're they're a really disciplined team. You know, they execute. So, um, you know, you have to be on your keys and you have to be on your game, you know, every single play. So it's just having that attention to detail to, you know, not have success or rise the ups and downs of the game, but to just to try to win every single snap, you know, one by one. You guys have never been 1-0, not in your career, not under Jonathan Smith. It's been a while. What would it mean to be 1-0 heading into next week? I mean, I, I, it just means that we are 1-0, you know, this week, which is our goal every week. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, definitely never been, uh, never won an a opening game, and um, that's definitely something I, you know, recognize. But, you know, that's not added fuel to the fire. Like I said, you know, stay process-oriented you know, day by day. Practice by practice, rep by rep, and um, like I said, every single week, try to go one and zero. Give us one key for people watching the game. One thing you guys know you need to do well to 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 win this game. Like one thing we should watch for. Uh, communication. Give us an idea. Like you know, is that between secondary linebackers, secondary to <laughs> coaching staff, communication in general? What are you thinking? Yeah, uh, I'd say communication, um, just because of, of what Boise State does with their with their offense and their mm. movements and motions and stuff like that. Um, so, just you know, you, you usually see you know we've been doing a good job communicating with you know body language as well as you know verbal communication. So um, you know when we're communicating well, it, it definitely shows. So you know if we're having a good game on communication, uh, talking to one another, um, you know definitely shows. All right, give me a lap before I cut you loose, Jaden, and I appreciate you joining us every week. You'll be with us throughout the season. Uh, you know, the prep will, the practice stuff will wrap up here shortly, and then it'll be about preparing for the game. How do you sort of focus? What kinds of things do you do, like on the Friday, Friday night? You know, are, are you uh, are you more that you know is the is the studying done, or do you continue to? kind of game plan, game film, or do you need some time away from football to kind of get your mind relaxed and focused? Um, I, I think when you have a 7.30 game, um, it's a little bit of a balance, you know, because you don't want to drain yourself out uh, mentally before the game, especially having to wait so long. Um, so I think, you know, in those those later games, you definitely find time. You know, some guys like to take time take naps, excuse me, and some guys like to, you know, go to the training room, get stretched out, whatever it may be on the road. Um, so I think each, each guy has their own thing. Me personally, um, you know, in, my, in, in those times where I do need to, you know, take my mind off football, I like to just listen to music or, you know, even watch other football games. Give me, an, like, what's on the playlist? Give me one song so I can see, I can put on my playlist and be cool. <laughs> Ooh, what song? Um, Man, there's so many good ones. <laughs> uh, probably, 
Staying Alive, Staying Alive uh, by Drake and Lil Baby. It's on okay. uh, DJ Khaled's new, All right. new uh, album. I like that. All right, put it on my playlist. All right, Jaden, good luck to you. Uh, I am in Atlanta today, but uh, I'm here for the Oregon-Georgia game. I'll be in Fresno next week for you guys in week two. Looking forward to seeing a 1-0 Oregon State team uh, headed to Fresno. So thanks for joining us every week. I appreciate you, man. Of course, man. Thank you for having me. All right. Jaden Grant, team captain, Oregon State, seventh-year player. We're not going to see another one. We won't. Pandemic. Uh, it would take too many factors to line up to get a seven-year player. His medical red shirts, everything that happened to Jaden Grant, man, seven years. Uh, uh, wish him nothing but the best. He'll be with us throughout the season. His coach, Jonathan Smith, is coming up top of the hour. So if you can hang out for about ten minutes, you'll hear Jonathan Smith talk about the opener against Boise State. Our big splash, though, is next. The BFT in the ATL. John Canzano is on 750 The Game. Jonathan Smith coming up. Oregon State football coach. He's got the game against Boise State. I'm in Atlanta, the ATL. Anna, what would you think of Jaden Grant's interview? He's always great. I mean, he just gives us insight into the team and the mindset of the team uh, that is, you know, unparalleled. It's great. I still want him to open up a little bit more. I can feel him holding back. I want him. <laughs> what do you want him to do? I want him. I don't need a Barbara Walters interview with him, but I want I want a little more. I'm going to tell him that. I want a little <laughs> more from him. Steven, what do you think? I thought when he said staying alive, he was going staying alive by the Bee Gees. I was 100% convinced, and I thought, you know what, that's kind of a weird pick for a young kid, but I, I respect it. You know, I like that song. I, I did the same thing. I was like, oh, staying alive. I thought he was going to sing it. I thought he was going to go, staying alive. Does that, does that make alive. me old that that was the first thing I thought of? Or? <laughs> uh, do we have the song he picked? So it's Staying Alive by Drake and who? Uh, little Baby, DJ Khaled. I, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a big hip-hop guy. I think I personally think the song's a little bit corny, but, you know, uh, I, it's um, if, J, if it gets Jaden pumped, it gets Jaden pumped. Okay. Beat Boise State. Can we hear some of it? Do we have it? Yeah. Let's play it. Cry me a hundred times. Wanted me to lie, wanted me to cry, wanted me to die. DJ Khaled! I'm staying alive, staying alive, staying alive, staying alive. I see in love and she been over once. It's not like I know no for months. This life it allow me to take what I want. It's not like I know what I want. It's not like I know what I need. Okay. I get some time, but there's no guarantee. Okay. When I was what do you guys think? Anna, what do you think? It's groovy. I like that. I can see why that would, you know, get him going. He's he's letting it brew in the run-up to a game. So I, I get it. Uh, that's part of it. So Call me old-fashioned, but I like this. That'll get you fired up, too. Maybe we need to introduce... Maybe we need to be doing the playlist for Jaden Grant. He doesn't want our playlist. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 90% of the audience thought when he said Stay Alive that that was the song that he was referencing, (laughs) not the Drake song. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's go to Chris in Longview, who's been holding. Chris, what's on your mind? What's going on? 
Hey, buddy. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I love your show. Hello, Anna. Hi. Uh, I've been a I've been a Husky fan for thirty plus years, and Oregon is on a giant stage this weekend. And I want I'm also a Pac-12 fan. I support the Pac-12 regardless. And I I think if Oregon can beat Georgia, this could put the Pac-12 on a new course. What are your thoughts? I think it would really help. I, mean, I think it would go a long way, but I think the narrative would, that would come out of that would be very similar to the narrative after the Ohio State win in Week 2 last year. People would be wondering about Georgia, wondering what kind of season they're going to have. Uh, it's, not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I also think Washington's going to have a nice season. I, I have Washington down to win eight games, and I think that's going to be a nice year one under Kalen DeBoer. All right, this brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, the Denver Broncos not only landed Russell Wilson in a trade in March, they have now apparently given him a five-year, $245 million extension that includes $165 million in guaranteed money. It's the mega deal. It's the third most lucrative contract in NFL history in terms of guaranteed money. It's behind Deshaun Watson in Cleveland and behind Kyler Murray with Arizona. Broncos announced the deal. It runs through 2028. They did not disclose the financial terms, but Russell Wilson's agent probably wanted that out there. Uh, in a news conference, they uh, said today that they had set a deadline to do a deal before the season. They felt some pressure. It came down to the wire. Wilson is 33. He's now under contract with the Broncos for a total of $296 million. The extension pays Wilson uh, an average salary of $49 million. He'll make only $24 million this season and $27 million next season before it kicks in. By the way, he's entering his 11th season in the NFL. Jonathan Smith is coming up, the Oregon State football coach. He'll be joining us after the break. Uh, we'll play some punched audio. We'll take some phone calls. I am live from Atlanta. You got the BFT coming at you live from Hotlanta. Appreciate that you're along for the ride. BFT. Now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, live from Atlanta, here's John Canzano with a bomb-faced truth. I'm in Atlanta where Oregon and Georgia will be playing on Saturday. Big football game, the Chick-fil-A game. Uh, Marcus Mariota is an honorary captain, setting the stage for you from Atlanta. But one of the biggest games in the Pac-12 footprint will be taking place on Saturday night at Research Stadium in Corvallis. It'll be Boise State against Oregon State. Here to talk about it, Jonathan Smith, football coach, Oregon State. You ready for this? Yeah, we got a day or two left here. We'll use every day we can to get ready. I know our guys are excited. Uh, it's been a long time coming. You know, you put so much work into the off season and obviously training camp, and now the the game right in front of us. We're excited about it, but definitely want to put the final details on things and, and be ready to go Saturday night. We want to talk about your offense, but let's start with the defense because everybody who's going to practice is coming out of practice going, man, they're better on defense. They're bigger on defense. What are they talking about? What do you see on defense? Well, I think we are. You know, we are better. Um, and again, saying that we're going to go prove it, but we're longer. Our secondary experience, guys continue to change their body. I think we're more more physical at the D line position. Uh, veteran at linebacker. Um, 
And so, you know, again, give credit to those guys, the development, the work to put, they've put in. We just got a lot of experience there that counting on those guys uh, playing at a high level. The experience that you have, you know, where is it most beneficial? Is it beneficial in the secondary? Is it beneficial all over the place? Is that a dumb question? Like, where does it, well, when yeah, you get that experience? I, I think it is, you know, of course, across the board, but in particular the secondary. I mean, there's so many different concepts, formations, um, adjustments in the secondary, and having veterans back there that have played a lot of football together, uh, being on the same page. Because uh, let's face it, when the secondary makes mistakes, it turns into six points. Oftentimes, D-line makes mistakes, uh, you know, a run for a gain of 12. So I think that there should be some benefit those guys in the back end. They've been competing. we got depth um, and trying to keep the explosive plays to a minimum. You guys uh, in week one, you know, we're all going to expect you to run the football on offense. But, you know, how have you looked running the ball in camp? Do you feel like the offensive line and the backs, you know, everything looked good to you? You know, I think there's, yeah, it, it, where we are now, where it started, you know, it always takes the offense a little bit to, to gel and things. And we, I do feel confident with this old line we can stay healthy, that we can play at a high level. Uh, again, we've got a few backs that we think are, uh, are pretty good and be able to run the ball. I know we'll run it more effectively if we can be pretty effective in the pass game. Look for that balance. Look for some explosive plays. We've got some speed at receiver. I think chance has improved in regards to that deep ball. And, again, you're not going to hit every single one. You throw 50 yards. But we, we hit for a higher clip to help out this run game. We've got a chance. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we all think of Boise State. We respect Boise State. We've seen what they've done nationally. What do you see on film as you look at them last year under Andy Avalos? Yeah, I think it's a physical group on both sides. Uh, you know, defensively, very sound. They're veteran. They've got a lot of, you know, they came out with their two deep Monday. A lot of, you know, six-year seniors, a lot of seniors on defense, good players. they got a couple safeties that are going to get drafted. What I see on tape, they got D-linemen that's affect the game, 99, and getting in the backfield. And so, and that's been Boise for a long time. They played really, really good defense, but they did last year. they got a veteran quarterback who's thrown it a bunch, four-year starter, smart, accurate, um, and now they feel like a running back who played a little bit last year was a really good player who was banged up. He's completely healthy. So we we got, we got a challenge there. Quarterback that's smart and accurate, they can run the ball, veteran O-line. Um, this will be a, a great challenge, which Boise has been for years. What did going 6-0 and at home and seeing that home crowd last year mean to you guys? And, you know, this season with the 26,407 seats available. How important is it going to be to get your Beaver fans in the stadium? Yeah, we need to play well at home. We need the home field advantage to to be a big factor again. Um, and I think it will. Uh, you think about every seat taken, and yeah, we're only two-thirds of a stadium whatnot, but that'll still be great energy. Uh, I know our players feed off of it. we got the brand-new Jumbotron, the experience, seeing the construction going. Um, it's going to be an awesome atmosphere, and, and we're counting on Beaver Nation to continue to help us so we can play really well at home. Have you seen the Jumbotron? Like, are you guys sitting around watching Netflix in there after practice? Or what's that look like? <laughs> well, I think it's been reported, so I'll say it. I think the thing just got completed literally yeah. the middle of the week here. I have not seen it turned on a couple uh, supply chain delays yeah. or whatnot, but it is complete. I'm staring at it right now from my office, but I have yet to see it turned on. Maybe we'll just wait till Saturday night to see it for the first time. It's interesting to see you guys. You know, you're a favorite in this game. You've earned that. You had a nice season last year. Everybody wants to see you build on it, but, you know, your week one, week two opponents are not easy. These are these are two teams that can beat Pac-12 teams. Um, you know, what do you need from Chance Nolan in game one, week one this season? 
Yeah, we I've talked about the passing game uh, already. You know, to make smart decisions with it, extend plays. Again, you know our aggression on third, fourth downs. Going to count on him in, in that way. Uh, and so, look, he doesn't have to flat out win the game by himself, but he's got to put us in a great position in the fourth quarter to be right around it and win the game in the fourth quarter. Jonathan Smith with us, Oregon State football coach. Uh, your wide receiver group, uh, we talk about the running backs all the time in the offensive line because you guys run the ball so well, but you know, you've know you got some re- receivers that maybe some new names out there. Who who will we see on Saturday night? Yeah, I think that you know, a couple of familiar names, Treshawn Harrison, Anthony Gould, Tyjon Lindsey, all of them had really good camps, especially Gould making plays. A newer name would be Silas Bolden as he's had a great spring and fall camp, the guy can run. You're going to see a good amount of him. Josiah Irish has taken another step in his game. You'll see him out at, at receiver, along with a couple new names at tight end. You know, Luke Musgrave, uh, obviously he's got a skill set, and, and we want to get him the ball some ways. But Jake Overman getting in there, you'll see a little bit of Coletto like we were doing the last half of the season, not just that wildcat quarterback. Um, so we feel like we've got some versatility, change the personnel groups in and out, and then and look for some balance. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, you guys – you, you were so good at home last year, and the, it feels like this progression you need to make this year is to get on the road and win. What was the difference in those things? Because you beat Utah at home, and then you go to Colorado, and you go to Cal, maybe some teams that you should have beat and didn't play as well. What needs to happen? Yeah, we've talked a lot about it as a team. And, again, what we did last year, uh, we got to learn from it, right? It doesn't mean we're going to play great at home and be average on the road. we got to learn from things, why we had success at home, why we didn't on the road in quite a few games. Uh, but each year is new. You know, looking at Boise, they, they had four huge road wins last year. So, uh, But that was last year. Uh, again, we're going to take it one game at a time. We're focused in on a, a home game here. And then, yeah, we go on a road game next week to Fresno, who's picked to be as good as anybody. Um, and so it's two legitimate challenges to start the season, which I think will get us ready for a Pac-12 play. Health-wise, how are you guys? Pretty solid. You know, as good coming out of fall camp as we've been. Yeah, we're going to miss a guy or two. Um, but knock on wood, we get there Saturday night. Uh, we're we're pretty healthy. The All the conference talk is dominated you know my show and what I've been writing about and you know you're focused on the football has it been difficult to concentrate or is it easy to tune that stuff out yeah it's been a nice reprieve honestly to go through the summer (laughs) and all the you know who who knows what's happening type thing you can get to early August lock in with the team practice focus in on that so it's been really a nice distraction just be able to focus on what we what we guarantee, no. We got 12 games on the schedule. We know our opponents, even for the next year, the same way. Uh, I haven't put a lot of a lot of thought into the other stuff. I, I think it's uh, it's been fun to see games and get to talk about games. You guys were such a such a treat last year. Um, you know, I I wonder. You know, when you took over this program, it was one and eleven. It, there wasn't a lot there. You did what you could, but you're in a different place now. Is it more difficult now to sustain and make those incremental? gains you know once you're a bowl team you're seven win team trying to get to eight nine ten or was the difficult climb trying to get to like three four five wins <laughs> i think both ends of it are difficult there was no question year one to year two there was some difficulty to that right just finding some belief and being down at the bottom and, and plugging away chipping away uh, working our way up i do think it's pretty difficult now that the expectations are higher which you want to have in your program you want to have some excitement expectation that you can play well win more than half your games, win all your games type thing. And so we've kind of flipped the script around here. A little bit of the expectations higher, and now we're not sneaking up on anybody. 
I think uh, we've earned some respect, respect around, and we're going to have to bring our A game week in and week out to win. You got a guy on the outside that can kill a defense if they cheat up, try try to take away your short pass game, try to you know take your run game away. Do you have a do you have a flyer that you can throw out there and and punish somebody with? Yeah, I think we have a few guys that can you know take the top off the coverage the way that Gould can go, Bolden can go, Trayshawn Harrison can go, and we're going to need some of that man because again we plan on being effective in the run game. People are going to work to take that away, and that opens up some deep shots. Jonathan Smith, uh, I wish you the best. Uh, it's been fun to watch this program grow. Uh, good luck to you Saturday. Um, any message for Beaver Nation? Like, for people who are clamoring for tickets out there, they may, they may be able to find a couple here, a couple there, but what does it mean, like, again, what does it mean for you to look around that stadium on game day? Yeah, well, it, well number one, it helps. And so I, I, I think this, we appreciate the energy, people coming. And I'm pretty confident it's going to be a great atmosphere. Yeah, it's going to look a little different, unique with the stadium thing going, which I think is fun for one season. But you get two-thirds of the thing taking every seat. There'll be awesome energy, and it's going to help us. Jonathan Smith, thank you. Appreciate it, John. Fantastic stuff from Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach. I love that. They'll get Boise State at home. They're a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Oregon State is really important for them to start fast this season. They historically have not done that. It would be the first game one, week one win for Jonathan Smith. He'd be 1-0 for the first time in his coaching career at Oregon State if they can win this game. I want you to leave it here. I'm live from Atlanta. You got John Canzano and the bald-faced truth. You've got the home of the truth, the BFT with John Canzano, live from Atlanta on 750 The Game. Well, I'm in Atlanta, so you're in Atlanta. I'm taking you with me. I'm in the studios in downtown Atlanta of 92.9 FM. They are the flagship for the Falcons and the Braves, and I visited with their radio show hosts earlier, and they wanted to know all about Oregon, Georgia, but they also wanted to know about Marcus Mariota. They didn't ask me any Dragon Con questions, but Anna's got the Dragon Con covered for people just tuning in. Uh, Dragon Con, basically a dragon convention going on in downtown Atlanta. About 60,000 people expected to attend that. Five full hotels, including the Hilton, all dragoned out. And people, uh, our, our Uber driver last night told us that we would see people sleeping in the park because that's what they do. There's no hotel rooms left available or maybe they're too expensive. And so the dragon people... Is that what we call them? Is it mean to call them the dragon people? I don't think so. I think they'll take it as a compliment. Yeah. We rode the elevator with a couple of dragon people. They looked exactly what you thought they would look like. Yeah. The dude was... Do you see what he's holding? Uh, what? Like a sword? No. You didn't see what was in his arms? No. What? He had enough alcohol... Oh, yeah. ...to <laughs> inebriate our whole crew. Yeah. He had like two <laughs> cases of beer. He had a bottle of vodka. He had some flask sticking out of his pocket. He did. Yeah. He and and then you asked him like who's the most biggest celebrity you saw at Dragon Con today and he said well I didn't see William William Shatner but I heard somebody say that the line to see William Shatner was really long which really isn't like seeing William Shatner no it, it's <laughs> like, sort of you know? just being in the vague presence of William Shatner I know I was looking up like who are the meet and greets and it's like uh some of the actors from 
The Boys, which is a show on Amazon, like X-Men stars. Uh, I noticed The Walking Dead had a strong pr- presence. Walking Dead. A couple of Game of Thrones, people that you didn't recognize, but then you went, oh yeah, okay, I could see that they were in there. Morena Bakarin, I'm probably saying her name wrong, from Gotham and uh, The Flash and Deadpool. So kind of like B-list actors. Why don't yeah. you just call it B-list con? No one would show up, you know? <laughs> Plus William Shatner, James T. Kirk, <laughs> Captain Kirk, the Enterprise. Uh, it's very entertaining, though. It's going to be great people watching for the next few days. Yeah, Let's I mean, just put it that way. I would grab a bench in downtown Atlanta, but it's about <laughs> 90 degrees, and it feels like a sauna out there. And if, by the way, if you're not used to that, I am not acclimated to that heat. I'm sure the people of Atlanta are like, what's the big deal? It's 90. Yeah, it's a little warm, but I feel like I'm walking into an oven. Well, yeah, it's 75% humidity, so that's the difference. It's it's 90 in Portland today. You know, it's 90 in the Northwest, but it's it's not 70 to 75% humidity. So. I love, I heard you talking with somebody here at the station about the game, and I love that you didn't know that the game was being held indoors. <laughs> yeah, well... It's. I mean, it's at a stadium yeah. that has a dome. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's in indoors. It's like air-conditioned. It's y- like yeah. being inside a shopping mall. Okay. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be a cool, balmy 72 inside there, you know. And, and that thing, you can't miss it as you come yeah. into Atlanta. I mean, it looks like a spaceship. It's it does cool. look like a spaceship. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool looking. Uh, we got the football covered. You have the... Dragon Con. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be on the Dragon Con beat. Uh, here's what the hosts on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta wanted to know. Steven, you're going to love this. They, they wanted to talk Marcus Mariota, and guess what their biggest question was about Mariota? Um, I have no idea. They wanted to know. He's a really nice guy. He has a reputation of being a nice guy. He gives granola bars out to homeless people. He makes his bed in the morning. You know, he hears an ambulance or a, a fire truck. His parents told him as a kid, if you hear an ambulance siren, you say a prayer to yourself. Like he, you know, he's a nice human being. They wanted to know, is he a leader? You know, because in an NFL locker room, is he a leader? Why is that so important? That was the same damn question that Justin Herbert got in the run up to the draft. Yeah, is he too nice of a guy? Like, that that's a problem? I, I don't know. I don't understand that. He's a competitor, though. Don't you see Marcus Mariota as a competitor? Yeah, I mean, if you if you watch Oregon games throughout your career, I mean, you just know how competitive the guy is. Like, he out, he's out there, he's sacrificing his body for every yard, right? Like, he's not the type of guy that's just going to, you know, not try to run the ball or make a play. I, I never understood that whole narrative of uh, not being a leader, not being, you know, just because you're too quiet or too nice. It didn't make sense to me. I think that only becomes a thing if you don't have a ton of a success and only at that position for some reason. Like nobody's talking about like what a, you know, nice human being, uh, you know, the running back is. Nobody's talking like Charlie Garner, who was with the Raiders and the Eagles, played a long time in the NFL. Super nice guy. Had a reputation of being just a really nice person. Jerry Rice had the reputation of being a really nice person. But nobody questioned that because they weren't quarterbacks and Everybody's like, well, you could be a nice guy, you could be a wide receiver or running back, but you can't be a nice guy and be a quarterback. I think the issue has been Mariota's lack of, um, you know, widespread success. He had some, he had some success early on in Tennessee. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, his numbers in the red zone were phenomenal. He, he, you know, his passer rating in the red zone as a young quarterback in Tennessee was amazing. And especially when you look at the five coordinators that he had in his time at Tennessee, the multiple, I think he had three different head coaches. Um, it was just a dysfunctional mess. It reminded me a little bit of the Oregon era as, you know, Mark Helfrich to Willie Taggart to Mario Cristobal. You know, I don't think Justin Herbert got enough credit at Oregon for being the quarterback of record while he played for three different head coaches and about five or six different coordinators and made it all look really easy. And so when the draft approached and Herbert was going to get picked, uh, you know, I kept, people kept asking me, is he a leader? He's quiet. Is he a leader? I look at him and I go, yeah, he can lead. I saw him lead, and I saw him lead when the, you know, the team around him was in chaos or the program was in chaos and the head coach was changing and he just kept winning and performing. Mariota, I think the the big question for him, though, is are the Falcons committed to him beyond this season? We've talked about this before, and I think I think it's just really important that he comes out of the gates and has three or four nice games to start the season. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what like did you get a good sense of how they were feeling of him as a quarterback? Because we were talking about that. Like, this may be his last real opportunity in the NFL to be a starting quarterback, but he is still young enough, right? Like yeah, he's, he's, still, he's still at that age where he can get better. Twenty eight, twenty nine, right yeah, in there. Right, so, and so he, you know, he still yeah. has a chance to get better. Um, and a team could build with him. Did you get a good sense of how the fans and how the you know the the market is feeling about Marcus Mariota in Atlanta? Mildly hopeful, but also, I think they're afraid to put their eggs in that basket yet. And so they were asking me the questions, and I could see that they were looking for me to get them enthusiastic about him. It wasn't like naturally, like, you know, this isn't like getting Tom Brady, right? They're getting a guy that Tennessee didn't want. And it, by Atlanta standards, the guy that Tennessee didn't want isn't going to be good enough. So I, I talked to them about the value of a quarterback sitting and watching. I think it's tremendously underrated in the NFL that uh, quarterbacks who have an opportunity to hold a clipboard for a season or even a half a season, I think it benefited Justin Herbert even, to, to not have to start his rookie season as the starter until that trainer put a needle in Tyrod Taylor's lungs and forced it, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> I was about to throw up. What are you, what are you doing over there? <laughs> yeah. He was getting an injection. Has, I know. You just kind of casually say that. But but, but you I remember. Know, I know the story. Yeah, know. but in the run-up to Herbert's first season, the pressure was off of him. And then we didn't even know he was starting in that game because it was kind of a surprise. And then, hey, your kid, I, you know, I don't even think he knew he was starting. So there was no pressure. He just got to go out and play. And I think with Mariota, there is some pressure here because we know how fleeting those starting quarterback jobs are. And we know in this league so much of your success is predicated on, um, you know, the, the situation around you at the quarterback position. It's It's not fair or not. That's how the league works. If Joe Montana is not drafted by the 49ers, doesn't have a chance to sit behind Steve DeBerg and wait and watch and wait for his time, I'm not sure he's Joe Montana. Like, if he goes to the Detroit Lions, maybe he's just another in the long succession of quarterbacks that did not succeed there. So, you know, by that same token, I think we've seen quarterbacks who get a second chance in this league succeed, including Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, I'm I'm hopeful because let's go back to Mario to being a nice guy. So he's so easy to root for. And I think there's a lot of people in the Pacific Northwest, Duck fan, Beaver fan, 
who are now tuned into Falcons going, I really hope the Falcons have a decent year. And, you know, they're not picked to be one of the best teams in the NFL. But can they have a decent year? I think it also brings up a larger point. Like, I thought it was an interesting question. Can Mariota lead? Because I think that there's room for different kinds of leaders, different styles of leadership. Like, if you look at Jonathan Smith, he's clearly a great leader for the Beavers. But he's not a yeller, as far as we can tell, right? Like, he has a quieter style of leadership that doesn't make him any less effective And so I just think there's room in sports and in business for all different kinds of leaders that don't necessarily have to be that outspoken. They don't have to be screamers and yellers and shouters. Go farther. Go deeper on that one. Because are you talking about game preparation leaders, uh, smart leadership versus rah-rah in the locker room leadership? Right. And I think like traditionally with sports, you know, if you look at let's just categorize Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers as leaders. What is their style? Are they rah-rah kind of leaders or are they more quiet uh, in terms of, hey, come with me, join me in this effort kind of leadership? Do you think Mariota has it in him, Stephen? Yeah, I do. And I think Anna's right. Like, it just kind of depends on who you are, right? Like, when I played, I didn't like to have coaches that just got in my face and yelled at me. Yeah, yeah, I had some, but I reacted fine to it. But it just wasn't my style. I think if you get the right players around him, that will be very, he can be very successful. And Arthur Smith, as his coach, knows his personality. So I think that adds to the helpfulness of this situation because he can bring in guys that he knows that, you know, he can say, look, Marcus isn't going to yell at you, he's not going to get after you. But he is going to lead you, right? And if that's your style, you can come here into Atlanta, and we got no pressure on us right now. There's no one expecting much things out of out of this team. I think Mariota's in a good spot. I don't know that he's necessarily going to be super successful and is going to turn into a you know a franchise quarterback situation. But I think this is about the best situation he could ask for, uh, being that he has already you know been, been in Tennessee and been let go, and then been in Las Vegas and let go as well. Yeah, because you know it also wasn't. You know, it wasn't like he had an opportunity to take over the Raiders. Like, they were sticking with Derek Carr. And, you know, I think his agent probably looked around last season. There wasn't a trade out there that he liked. He sat tight. He held the clipboard. He played a little bit in Vegas. But, you know, I think he had a year to kind of rest and look around and get healthy and figure out, you know, what kind of situation he really wanted. But... It's not a perfect situation in Atlanta, and so much of quarterback success is predicated on, you know, the idea that you know you are you have the weapons around you, and good quarterbacks take advantage of that. And I just think he needs um, that offensive line. The offensive line's a little shaky. Uh, you know, I think he's got great tight ends, including Kyle Pitts. Um, they need to find a running back. But if they can't run the ball and they can't protect the quarterback, he is dead in the water. It doesn't matter what kind of leader he is. Yeah, no doubt. But the thing is, is he's you know he's tall, he's big, he's fast, he's got an arm. Like he's got everything you kind of want in a quarterback. So I think it's not that he needs help to get it out of him. I think it just needs to put in the right situation, like you said, John. And that's just what the NFL is. Is a lot about situations. Can he do this in Atlanta? I don't know. But Arthur Smith, I think, is the coach that really knows his personality, knows his style of play, and should be able to put him in the right spots, which is all you could do as a coach, is put your players at the best spot to succeed. I think Marcus can do that, hopefully, in Atlanta. Uh, hopefully, it's well enough where he can continue to uh, get more contracts there. To play devil's advocate, though, I mean, aren't true leaders able to bring a team success 
almost regardless of the people that are in place, like true leaders are able to bring the best out of what they have and achieve victory despite, you know, the tools that are in place? To a certain extent, but if he's flat on his back every other play and they have no time to throw the football, I I think you're right in that true leaders elevate people around them and make the best of the situation around them. But I think you're asking too much of one player if you can't protect him or he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't have wide receivers to throw to. I'm looking at his wide receiver stable and, you know, I I would challenge listeners like who aren't like knee deep in fantasy football world to name like more than one Atlanta Falcons receiver that he'll throw to or more than one running back. And to your point, Anna, about like Jonathan Smith being more of a, you know, cerebral leader. Listen to this scene in the locker room last year. Remember when they they beat USC? They upset USC, uh, you know, put 45 points on USC. Here was Jonathan Smith in the locker room. I think sometimes we don't get to hear these guys this way, or maybe they don't want us to hear them this way. But here's Jonathan Smith in the locker room. Hey, you earned this. You guys earned this. But hear this. We ain't done yet. that middle of that scrum in the locker room leading those guys on that song and i love that we get moments like that because i think we get to see some of these leaders maybe like we don't get to see them otherwise Mm, that's good i like that i like that i hear that because you know obviously that jonathan smith that's in the locker room with his guys is a much different jonathan smith that is doing a radio interview with oh yeah so Uh, i mean give me a break when he comes on to do the radio interview my job my whole job is to try to draw him out (laughs) and his whole job is don't give boise state anything to talk about don't give them any bulletin board material don't say anything you know so it is a real tug of war that is going on and i enjoy that because that's part of my job is to draw him out and get him talking about the stadium and the atmosphere and you know sort of the preparations but he's got to come on every week with us we'll get dan lanning on every week as well i want you to leave it here we have punch it audio coming up big moves in the nba big contract in the nfl plus a whole bunch of college football to talk about leave it here you got the bft from atlanta this is the BFT in the ATL, presented by Jamba. Smoothies, juices, and bowls. Jamba is always the right play on 750 The Game. Well, I'm broadcasting from Atlanta. I am in downtown Atlanta. The Ducks will be here taking on Georgia on Saturday. You can watch the game on ABC. It is a 3.30 kickoff Pacific time. It'll be a 12.30 uh, kickoff, or excuse me, it is a 12.30 kickoff Pacific time. It's a 3.30 kickoff here. Is that right? Do I have that right, Stephen? Yes. Yeah, that sounds right. right to me. Eastern time, whatever. Yeah. Uh, we are going to play some punch at audio. We'll talk about the Ducks and the Bulldogs. Uh, we will be live again tomorrow from Atlanta. I will take you where the action is. Uh, big interviews on the show. We had Jonathan Smith and Jaden Grant from Oregon State on earlier. We'll go heavier on the Ducks in Georgia on tomorrow's program. We'll even visit Gainesville, Florida tomorrow as Utah is preparing for Florida. And we'll check in with the Utah program on tomorrow's show as well. All right, let's play some Punch It. 
Justice in the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Donovan Mitchell on the move. The Utah Jazz picking up some draft picks. Cleveland getting a good guard with some big upside. Shams had the details. Was it almost a New York thing? He thinks so. Punch it. This wasn't something that I think came out of thin air. The Jazz, in their heart of hearts, I think, looked at the Knicks as a viable trade partner. They saw their four unprotected first-round picks. They had four protected picks. They had young players. They had everything necessary to get a deal done, and they did make offers. I'm told in their last offer, they put on the table R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, two unprotected first-round picks. But Danny Ainge and the Utah Jazz wanted more. They wanted one more unprotected pick. That would have meant three unprotected picks. They wanted multiple draft swaps. And they wanted potentially another young player. And the Knicks had a window of time here to get a deal done. They had every opportunity, every chance to try to put forth their offer and step up to the table to bring in Donovan Mitchell. He would have been a, a really transcendent get for this organization. This is a team that has needed a face of the franchise, an all-star player like Donovan Mitchell, 25-year-old in his prime from that New York City area. Would love to. He would have loved to play in New York City, I'm told. That was his top preferred destination. But now he ends up in Cleveland. Look, the deal happens. He ends up in Cleveland. Danny Ainge and the Jazz compiling draft picks. Steven, you love this if you're a Jazz fan, don't you? Yeah, if you're a Jazz fan, I mean, they they struck gold with the Rudy Gobert and the Donovan Mitchell trade. I mean, I kind of like the Knicks offer better than what the Cavs gave up, but, you know, if, that, if that's what the Jazz are going for and they want to just compile draft picks, I mean, you can't get much better than what they just did. Yeah, and I think, look, I it was just a couple years ago, I... I, I was thinking about Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard in the parallels. And I was, you know, those two guys, the trajectory of those two guys at this point of their careers, do you want what Lillard has done or what Donovan Mitchell might do? Ooh. Ah. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's a great question. I think Don, it's Donovan Mitchell, right? He's 25 years old. He's, he's a proven playoff performer. I think I'd rather have that. Moving on to Russell Wilson. He gets the big deal. The Denver Broncos have given him an extension that will make him richer yet. Maybe he'll get some more bathrooms on that house that he got with 14 or 15 bathrooms. Broncos and Wilson agree to a five-year extension. It's worth $245 million, including $165 million guaranteed. Stephen A. Smith says Russell deserved it. Punch it. But we can't take away from what he means to an NFL franchise. Right. To give him the, to, the, the ball, you know you can depend on him. You know you can trust him. You know he knows how to act and conduct himself. You know he knows how to lead. And when you take all of those intangibles into consideration, you combine that with his level of production, and then you take into account the absence of production you've had from the quarterback position since Peyton Manning retired, there is nothing to talk about. Not only does he deserve this money, I don't think the Denver Broncos have much of a choice. I, I disagree with not having much of a choice. They have Russell Wilson under contract. But we know it's a quarterback-centric game. We know the Broncos wanted Russell Wilson happy. And we know this is a franchise, an NFL franchise, that is in transition of ownership. 
you know, they are uh, auctioning off the franchise, changing ownership hands. They're looking for stability. Russell Wilson gives them stability. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to question this deal, given his track record. But, man, that's a lot of money that they are passing out in the NFL. Speaking of quarterbacks, let's go to Chance Nolan. He'll get the start for Oregon State against Boise State on Saturday. Research Stadium, 26,407. It's a sellout, Oregon State says. But uh, Chance Nolan talked about winning the quarterback job. What went into that? Punch it. Um, I guess probably shoot, a couple of days ago. I mean, Coach, we had our exit meetings, and Coach Langdon kind of, you know, talked talk us through and kind of how he felt. Camp went, and so, yeah, you know, probably just a couple of days ago. But, you know, you still got to compete day in and day out for, you know, for the job. You got to come out and produce on Saturday. So, you know, just kind of you know, taking it game by game. I mean, yeah, I think so. I was taking, you know, majority of the rest with the, with the one group out there. So, you know, I had, I had a good, you know, I felt like I had a good uh, grasp of the whole offense, and then I, I was moving it pretty good throughout camp. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and I always kind of have that confidence that I'm the guy. That's kind of how you have to play out there being QB1. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I can only thank those guys enough, you know, for bringing it day in and day out and pushing, you know, pushing all of us to be the best player we can because, you know, in, in a group, you need you need that type of competitive camaraderie within the guys because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all wanting to win, but, you know, at the end of the day, only one of us can really play. So I think, you know, just bringing that competition day in and day out is just going to help our team be the best we can be because whoever's on the field at any given moment, we know that they've been, you know, day in and day out competing with some of the best guys in the conference for sure. So. Chance Nolan, uh, it's really interesting. I tweeted some of this out just a few minutes ago, but statistically, he was a little better last year than I gave him credit for. The top five quarterbacks in passing yards, he was third in the Pac-12 behind Anthony Brown Jr. and Jaden Delora last year. He had more passing yards than Cam Rising at Utah. Passing touchdowns, he was third in passing touchdowns. Cam Rising had 20, and Chance Nolan had 19. Dorian Thompson-Robinson had 21. He completion percentage, Chance Nolan was fifth among quarterbacks last year, and he's second among those coming back. Only Tanner McKee had a better completion percentage than Chance Nolan. So why is it, Stephen, why is it that we don't think Chance Nolan is great, that he's just good? I think it's just because it's the big playability, right? You talk about what receiver's going to step up and be that downfield threat. Can the Beavers get some quick strike offense from the from the passing game, it was all about the running game last year. Where it was a big play, it was a big run, big run. Can they get some big pass plays? I think that's the next progression and why we don't consider Chance Nolan, you know, in the upper tier of Pac-12 quarterbacks. I also think he's gonna he's gonna need a receiver. You know, I, I think he needs a big play receiver because I think you're right in that 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 big play capability. Sometimes I don't think it's fair. We look at quarterbacks and we go, hey, you know, his his average yard yard per per completion is not great but we don't think about the guys he's throwing to i think oregon state needs anthony gold it needs somebody else to step up maybe uh maybe you know one of the guys jonathan smith mentioned earlier but they're going to need a, a a player who can take a eight yard reception and turn it into an 80 yard reception that's really what's been missing at Oregon State. Yeah, and Jonathan Smith sounded very confident in all the guys that he named when you were talking to him. So, you know, if you're a beef fan, you got to hope one of those guys really steps up because if these have produced really good receivers in the past, can they get another one to make that big play? I think that would be huge for the offense. Yeah, i got to see it, though. You know, I, I get why he's saying it, but he, they got to show us that. Oregon State needs to show us that big play capability. Dan Lanning talking about Brock Bowers, the big tight end at Georgia. He goes 6'4", 230. Kid from Napa. Here's Dan Lanning talking about the tight ends. Punch it. 
yeah, I mean, Rox has a tremendous work ethic, but he catches the ball well and he runs like a wide out. You know, it's just really unique when you're talking about a guy that's over 220 pounds that moves like he moves. He probably would run a, as fast a 40 as any, uh, you know, several of their other wide outs, which is pretty impressive, his ability to move and what that looks like. Yeah, look, uh, the tight ends at Georgia, the offensive line at Georgia, the defensive line at Georgia. You know, I was talking to the radio guys here in Atlanta, and they said when Kirby Smart was hired from Alabama, he came through the doors and he said, we got to get bigger. Georgia got bigger. They go 6'5", 320 across the line and the offensive and defensive side. They are uh, enormous. They're long, they're tall, they're big dudes, and... You know, it's much the same that Mario Cristobal said when he walked in the door at Oregon and started looking around. Lanny's got his work cut out for him. He talked about his game day re- routine. What's his routine? And will he be nervous for Saturday's game against Georgia? Here's Dan Lanning. Punch it. Uh, and then there's a little bit of a calm before the storm. You know, I was a guy that has to pee like five or six times right before the game starts. Like, I'm, I, I love football. Right, and uh, I'm still like that. So I'm sure I'll, right before I take the field, I'll be in the urinal, and then we'll be, you know, get a break and then uh, get out there. But like, what, what makes football so great? Right, that's what's so awesome about this game is the nerves, uh, the excitement around it. Heck yeah, I get nervous before a game. Like, if you don't, you're lying. Right, like I'm human. But that's why I love this. You know, so uh, a lot of fun for me. Love Saturday, obviously for good reason. You know, my job is to make our job for the players easy. Dan Lanning says he gets nervous, he has to pee. Is that normal, Anna? Is that a normal response? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you get nervous, you go to the urinal? <laughs> I think it is. I don't think it's normal for most coaches to admit that. So that's kind of what I love about him is his authenticity. Charming or no, Stephen, that Dan Lanning admits he has to pee when he's nervous? I think it's cool. I think it's cool that he admits it. I mean, I, I, I don't have to, as much of a problem as he does. He's had seven times. When I played basketball, I got nervous. I'd have to go to the bathroom like right before. You know, I understand where he's coming from. It's it's a thing. You know, the uh, players on the field will tell you that if they have to go and they're on the field, sometimes they just go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the, don't so be careful leaning over the railing, going, "Hey, throw me your arm pad." <laughs> you don't know what's there where that arm pad's been, people. Why does this sweat smell weird? <laughs> Wait. The arm pad wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, but, you know, you're tackling people who have peed on their own pants. Okay, okay. Kellen Clemens, the Oregon quarterback, told me that he has stood in the middle of Autzen Stadium during a timeout out on the field with 45,000-plus people in attendance at Autzen, and he said he just looked around and realized he had to go, and so he just peed. I don't know why, but I think about the, my next thought is the people who love to spread ashes, like their loved yeah. ones' ashes, onto that same field. That's true. It's uh, it's not sacred ground out there, people. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Finally, Greg McElroy talking about the matchup at quarterback for Georgia. Stetson Bennett, he's got the experience. Here's McElroy giving the scouting report on Bennett against Oregon's defense. Punch it. Well, I think the biggest thing is it's going to be a new-look Georgia team. And Roddy just referenced the challenges that they may have in the secondary, the challenges they may have on defense. So they might have to score more points. So I want to see how does Stetson use his matchup advantages. If there's one thing that you can look at at this Georgia team and say they are totally different from last year, is that they have not one but two 
great tight ends, headlined by Brock Bowers, who's a matchup nightmare. He's like Gronkowski, mm. maybe not quite as big, but has speed that rivals that of like a, of a, of a Graham, Jimmy Graham back in the day. And then at running back, too. They have really good receivers, so I don't want to overlook them. But the matchups are created with tight ends and running backs. They have two running backs in Milton and McIntosh that can create a lot of problems against linebackers in coverage. So how do they use the matchup advantages to their disposal and create one-on-ones with favorable matchups with involving Bulldogs against less than favorable matchups involving Ducks? Yeah, and look, if I get nervous during the game, I'm going to run to the urinal. But here's the bottom line. Uh, you know, Oregon's defense, especially the linebackers, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, those two guys in particular, I'm not concerned about them. Those guys are going to play on Sunday. Those guys are good. If they stay healthy, they'll be a factor in this game. So I think they can be incredibly disruptive. I don't think the matchup is at, it is at all about Stetson Bennett and Georgia's offense uh, against the Oregon defense. I think it's the other way around. I think it's you know, Oregon's offensive line against Georgia's defense. If Oregon's offensive line can run the ball and stay on the field a little bit and Bo Nix, you know, gets comfortable back there, Oregon's in this game. The only way it gets away from Oregon, I think, is if you see Bo Nix running for his life, Oregon unable to run the football, becomes one-dimensional, and then it makes it very easy for the Georgia defense. Um, you know, look, we all, I think most of us expect that Georgia is the better team. Georgia's playing essentially at home. But uh, I think that there's a, there's a path here. You can build a path for Oregon to be comfortable in this game. And comfort is confidence. Confidence is comfort. And I think in the end, uh, that's what you're looking for. That is Punch It Audio. Is that the key to the game? Or is there another key to this game? I want your reaction. You tell me. 503-417-7575. I think the key to the game is Oregon's offensive line. Being able to protect Bo Nix, being able to keep the Oregon offense on the field. What do you think the key to the Oregon-Georgia game is? 503-417-7575. Live from Atlanta, this is the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Let's talk about the key to this Oregon-Georgia game. What do you think it is? What do you think the biggest factor is? If you could look through a, uh, a keyhole today and find out, you know, if you know Oregon's going to be able to run the ball or is Georgia, is Stenson Bennett going to you know, look good, comfortable at quarterback? What, what do you think the key is, the biggest factor in this game? For me, it's the comfort of Oregon on offense. Are they comfortable? Are they able to establish some rhythm? Are they able to handle the front seven of Georgia. Uh, that, to me, is the ball game. Uh, if they can do that, I think they stay on the field and they stay in this game. But what about you? 503-417-7575. Stephen, your key to this game. My key is I know that Oregon's – well, I don't know this, but I think Oregon's offense is going to struggle. So I think the key is can the defense cause a turnover somehow? I think that's how Oregon's going to get some points if they want to stay in this ballgame. Can they get an interception? Can they cause a fumble on Stetson Bennett? You know, you look at Flo and Sewell. Can they make a big play? I think that's going to be really key uh, for Oregon to stay in this game because I don't expect a lot of the offense, but I do like the defense of Oregon. So I think that's that they got to do something. Anna, do you have a key for the game? I think the key is that Dan Lanning knows the Georgia playbook. Mm. I think the key is that he, this is, you know, very recently his home turf. 
And uh, despite this being his first turn as, you know, a head football coach at the college level, uh, I think it's a tremendous advantage to have him leading Oregon against uh, an entity that he knows inside and out. Yeah. Sean, do you have a you have a thought on that? Yeah. No, I I think it's going to help. Also, I think we mentioned it. Uh, yesterday, the Brian McClendon thing scares me a little bit on the other side, if I'm a Duck fan. You know, Brian McClendon worked with the receivers last year. Uh, now he's on Georgia's sideline. So I think, uh, you know, for me, the, I think the biggest concern for the Ducks is the, the receiving and, uh, you know, the passing game. And I look forward to see how they're going to be able to move the ball. If they can move the ball well, I think they're going to be able to be in this game. But uh, I think, you know, it, it goes both sides with uh, knowing what each other wants to do. I think uh, I would love to hear from you as a listener what you think the factor, the key factor in this game is at 503-417-7575. Coming up, we have the 5 at 5, the happy hour. We are in Atlanta with all the dragon people and waiting for Georgia and Oregon. B-F-F-T. Now. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Live from Atlanta, here's John Canzano with a bomb-faced truth. I'm in Atlanta. Anna's in Atlanta. Soon it'll be the Ducks and the Bulldogs in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Also some dragon people wandering around downtown Atlanta. The Braves are in town. Uh, The good people of Atlanta... Uh, are excited about this football game. They're curious about Marcus Mariota. They're excited about Oregon, Georgia. Uh, No doubt, a whole bunch of Dogs fans here in Atlanta uh, going to enjoy this game. And uh, I know that we're locked into it. We'll be here again tomorrow broadcasting live from downtown Atlanta. But uh, appreciate that you're along for the ride. We want your phone calls here in the happy hour. We're going to start with our 5 at 5, but... Whole bunch of conversation. Who knows where this show goes? We got some news to talk about, among other things. But uh, let's let it rip. It's the five, five at five, five, five. The five at five. Well, let's start with the big trade in the NBA. Donovan Mitchell on the move. If you're an NBA fan, uh, you're watching what the Jazz are doing. Uh, Donovan Mitchell to the uh, to the Cavs? Is that what you expected? It's not what I expected, but Danny Ainge, the new GM there in Utah, clearly making this his roster and, you know, compiling draft picks. I think it's really interesting to see uh, the Knicks fans upset that they didn't get Donovan Mitchell. Same old Knicks. But, you know, we're talking about unprotected first-round picks which is what Danny Ainge wanted. He got three of them from Utah. Mitchell uh, wanted to trade to New York, apparently, but ended up in Ohio, which he thought was better than Utah. Um, It'll be interesting to see what he can become and how good Cleveland can be. I think right now, you know, I have Cleveland as about the sixth best team in the East. Am I being too ambitious there? But uh, I think they got better. And they mortgaged a little bit of their future. Anna, number two in our five at five. Go. I'm fascinated at the who's who in Serena Williams' box at the U.S. Open. I love that everyone and everyone and anyone is coming out to watch her and cheer her on, including Tiger Woods, 
Bella and Gigi Hadid, supermodels Spike Lee, Zendaya, Jared Leto, LeBron James cheering from his couch, calling her the greatest of all time. It's just so fun to watch her on this uh, farewell <laughs> experience and to see everybody that is wanting to witness it in person. She's pretty inspiring, man. I, I, yeah. I, how do you like? How do you not root for her? Well, everyone's rooting for her. Yeah. Also, Hugh Jackman and Mike Tyson. Oh, if Mike Tyson and Hugh her. Jackman are rooting for her, I'm in. <laughs> but yeah, 40 years old and out there dominating when she really hasn't played in that many tournaments. I mean, she's bringing it. I tell you what we love, and we, I mean America. We love comeback stories. We love them like nothing else. And this is a comeback story. It's, the, it's a comeback story in the same way that Tiger Woods is a comeback story. It's a comeback story in the same way that Michael Jordan was after he left the NBA and went to experiment with baseball and then came back. It's it's a great story. And I think she becomes more likable and more relatable because we're watching her, what, battle against age, her own limitations, being a mom. Like, who's not behind that? And what a weird feeling if you're going against her, knowing that literally everybody in the world probably is rooting against you. Yeah, go out there and lose like you're supposed to, exactly. competitors. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, though. How weird would that be? Yeah, I'm going to be the spoiler here, you know? I'm going to make everybody sad and ruin everyone's moods. <laughs> That's not cool. Serena, Serena. No, no, not happening. Okay, number three in our five at five. Uh, unfortunate byproduct of a long NFL preseason. Tennessee Titans outside linebacker Harold Landry III tore his ACL during practice. Uh, this was yesterday. Adam Schefter had it first. Uh, he led the Titans with 12 sacks last season. Seven of those 12 sacks came on third down, which uh, he was an incredibly important player. He was in tears. Uh, he was also one of the Titans' most durable players last year. He played almost 90% of the Titans' defensive snaps. Um, he is, uh, is going to be replaced by Rashad Weaver, who is an edge defender. And, uh, you know, he uh, apparently uh, left the practice facility uh, after suffering this torn ACL in tears. I think it's just an unfortunate byproduct. It looks like he is uh, going to miss this season with this torn uh, ACL. Anna, number four, go. John Gruden says he's, he wants to coach in the NFL again. He still wants another gig. This is despite being forced out of the Raiders' job and the allegations that, you know, he had some emails containing racist language. Uh, he says he's ashamed about what has come out in those emails and doesn't make excuses for it, but says he's a good person. He believes that. He goes to church. He's been married for 31 years. He's got three boys and still loves football. We talked about this the other day a little bit. Is going to church and staying married the marker of being a good person? Uh, no. Why does that get brought up? Because it's just something that people use. I feed my kids. People say <laughs> stupid things when they're trying to justify whether they're a good person or not. Either you're a good person or you're not. Yes. You don't have to point out that you stayed married. Some people who stayed married aren't good people. <laughs> I got news for you. There's some people who go to church who aren't good people. Probably. Should I say that? That blasphemy! I didn't. I, no lightning bolt hit me. So. Well, we're all sinners, right? Well, I mean, I'm just saying. You see some cases. I don't know. John Gruden uh, speaking to the Touchdown Club in Arkansas when he made those comments. Speaking to the choir, so to speak. Do you think that's going to happen? Will he coach? Again? No, he's not coaching again. 
he's toxic. Uh, I don't blame him for getting out and trying to say to people, hey, you know, I'm a good person, defend himself. He has every right to do that. But I just can't see in today's world saying the things he said in via email, sending some of those what he thought were jokes via email that were racist. How do you walk back into a locker room and pretend to be a leader after that? There's a path to forgiveness and redemption, but... I don't think John Gruden's path to forgiveness and redemption leads back to being a head coach. Finally, number five in our five at five. Let's go back to this Jimmy Garoppolo saga. I've dealt enough with Russell Wilson and his contract, but Garoppolo said that staying with the Niners was not part of his plan until recently. He spoke to the Bay Area media today for the first time since February 1st. He has now signed a one-year contract that was revised. It'll keep him in San Francisco. But I find it interesting that, you know, returning to San Francisco wasn't really on his mind. He was training in San Francisco, so he had to be there. Uh, He was still under contract in San Francisco, so he stuck around. But he did this whole farewell thing at the end of last season, thanked the organization, and now he's back. He said he had a lot of discussions with other teams, but nothing ever reached the stage where a different team talked to him about reworking his contract. He also had a shoulder surgery, which I think scared some other some teams off. I expect Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play some snaps this season. I just I don't think the Niners would have given him the money they gave him if they felt confident that Trey Lance was their guy for sure. And given that their offensive line hasn't looked good in the preseason, I wonder if they're going to need more than one guy. That is our five at five five biggest things going on let's focus on Gruden just a little bit because I do have the audio of him talking to the touchdown club in Arkansas set the scene he's probably not expecting that this is going to go widespread public okay but he's in a room speaking at one of these booster functions in the run-up to the season Arkansas touchdown club bring him in pay him to talk they do this with former coaches all the time Uh, here's what Gruden said I'm ashamed about uh, what has uh, come about in these emails, and I'll make no uh, excuses for it. It's just, it's, it's shameful. But uh, I am a good person. I believe that. I, I'm, I, I go to church. I've been married for 31 years. I got three great boys. I still love football. I've made some mistakes, but I don't think anybody else in here hasn't. Uh, and I just ask for forgiveness, and hopefully I get another shot. But I, I, get, I get choked up, you know, because uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there right now. What you read, what you hear, what you watch on TV. Hell, I worked at ESPN for nine years. I worked hard at that job. I don't even want to watch the channel anymore uh, because I don't believe everything is true. Uh, and I know a lot of it is, is just trying to get people to watch. But I think we got to get back to reality, and that's why I look forward to Saturdays because you're going to get what you deserve when the whistle blows, and we'll see if the Razorbacks can get after Cincinnati, which I hope they do. Yeah, as a matter of fact. There it is. Okay, I want to play the beginning of that again, and I want your reaction to this, okay? So here's just the beginning, which just I almost fell out of my chair again, and I've heard this, I've heard this two or three times. I'm ashamed about uh, what has uh, come about in these emails. And I- Okay, what has come about in these emails? You mean things he wrote? It's and a creative way to put it, yeah. 
come about? Yeah, they just emerged. Like somebody hacked his email? <laughs> and, then here, and then here's his thing. Okay, so he says, I'm ashamed. I'll make no uh, excuses for it. It's just, it's, it's shameful. But. <laughs> I'm making no excuses. It's shameful. But. That's a big but. Yeah. That's a Kardashian-sized butt. That is a, that is a Kardashian butt. Uh, I <laughs> I'm just a little surprised that this isn't causing more of an uproar. Um, he he's not apologizing. He's not really even owning it. And then he goes on to say he's married. He goes to church and he's got three boys. Those are not the things that I want to know if I'm trying to determine if somebody is a good human being. Uh, that doesn't refute what he said. What would he? What could he have said that would have been better than this? I'm not making racist remarks anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's solid. I've looked yeah. at my heart. I realize what I thought was a flippant joke. I hadn't really given thought to, and I realize how hurtful it is. And I know that it was racist. And I've done work. And here's what I've done. Ba ba ba. Yeah, I mean, just something that speaks to, like, a conciliation, uh, you know, an actual self-examination of things that he said and wrote. But I do find the argument interesting because I think there's a contingent of people out there, and I, and I think there's a contingent of people around Gruden that are sort of his choir, as in he's speaking to his choir, who are saying, look, the NFL is hypocritical. Like the NFL, who do we have as, you know, players and even other coaches that have had problems that um, haven't lost their jobs, right? Right. Like the NFL is rife with people who have abused women or raped people or have at least faced allegations of rape and misconduct. I mean, there's there, there's a lot of bad behavior. So I think there's a contingent of people in this country who say, well, why should he be canceled because of this when there's obviously so much other bad behavior that is still perpetuated in the league and people still have their jobs. Oh, you know, they get one year suspensions and a fine and stuff. Yeah, I think Stephen, you mentioned it the other day. If he were if he had a better record as a coach, you know, do the Raiders have any at that easy of a time of flushing him? Yeah, I mean, they made the playoffs without him. So it's like, was he really doing the good job there? I mean, that's a legitimate question because you look at Deshaun Watson. I mean, I know he wasn't proven guilty of anything, but he got a fully guaranteed over $200 million contract. See, I don't think it's a legitimate question. I think the answer is no. You know, you look at their draft picks that they made. John Gruden, I think, had a lot of influence on that. And, uh, you know, I'd have to pull up the record for how he did, but you mentioned it. They they won when they hired, I think it was their special teams coach that they yeah, promoted. Yeah, he finished the year. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I don't know where he ended up, but he led them to the playoffs. They were so much better when Gruden was gone. So, yeah, I, I don't think uh, he's even a deserving head coach without the baggage. I think talent-wise, they ended up about where they should be because they had some problems. But I they really had to scramble late in the year to get into the playoffs. And, you know... Anna, your point about, you know, why do you guys, why do you think he brought up ESPN? It was really weird how he transitioned from talking about, you know, I am a good person and, oh, those emails were shameful. And um, then he pivots into ESPN. Why? Because it's easy to blame mainstream media because that's, that's the easy line to go to. Oh, blame, you know, the messenger, so to speak. Um, that is critical of your behavior 
and the things that you said. Because he, he off, not in this talk, but in other ways, his attorneys and his people are saying he didn't even make these comments when he was coaching in the NFL. He was an employee of ESPN when he wrote those emails. He was writing to, uh, you know, Bruce Allen, who was the GM of the Washington football team. And we all know the Washington football team didn't have its act together. But he... Why is he trying to draw the distinction that he was an employee of ESPN? Does, like, I almost feel like Gruden's whole mission here is to show that I'm not the only racist. <laughs> I'm not the only bad guy. It, you know, because he said that. We all make mistakes. You know, we've all, everyone in this room. So he wants us all to sort of feel that shame that he feels. But, you know, we all haven't written horribly racist emails and made fun of the Players Association's lips. And, you know, it... It's just, he. we know he doesn't like Roger Goodell and that he wants the NFL. He, John Gruden's going after the NFL. I also kind of feel like he's going after ESPN because they didn't support him when this all went down. You could be right. I mean, it just seems like deflection, right? Like he's trying to deflect all the bad that he's done and trying to bring it to everyone else and see everyone else, like you said. Everyone else has made mistakes. We all do it, but no, we don't. Like that's the problem is we don't all make these type of mistakes. So I mean, it's just it's a weird it's a weird flex by John Gruden. But I think it's really if he wants to get back in the NFL, it, it's one of the plays that you could try to make. I think Gruden probably never thought these emails were going to get public. And I think the better tactic for him, like, look, he's got to come to grips with the fact that I like no NFL team is going to hire him. If he's going to get back into coaching, it's going to be at some mid-major program like Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian, or you know, he's going to end up at you know, FIU or Florida Atlantic or somewhere that he can come in and try to rehabilitate himself. He have to, you know, you're half going to, you're going to have to follow Art Bryles on the path back to redemption and Lane Kiffin. It's not going to happen by going public and trying to say to people, "I'm a good person," and look at all these other bad people. Nobody's buying that. At, well, at this point. And I think part of that dynamic in his remarks was exactly the audience. As you introduced the clip, I think it's one of those situations where we've seen it, where public speakers, uh, we've seen it where there was, you know, someone who was talking to what they thought was a limited group on Zoom and opened up in a way that made them incredibly vulnerable and created a lot of bad press because I think that people in particular settings forget when they feel like they're speaking to a semi-private group that those comments will be made public, very public, and that will come back and bite them in the butt. And, you know, let's let's even forget, like, what has already happened in the past and what has been revealed. I think what is key for Gruden is how effective would he really be as a head coach moving forward? How is he going to recruit? Like how in the world is yeah, he going to agent, recruit? Free agent's not going to want to play for him, right? How, but, but yeah, he was in Vegas. Like Vegas recruited itself. Yeah, but I just think there's a big problem for him in that. Even if, even if he got an opportunity, I think it's going to have to be small enough stage where it's a no brainer. It's going to be have to be like, you know, New Mexico State hires him. You know, uh, it's going to have to be some school that really can take a flyer without taking the backlash. But how? How in a in a in a sport that is predominantly black would any black player want to go play I, for I'm him? not saying they would want to, but I think that if he's going to go back and try to rehab his image, he's going to have to go to a low enough level where they would be enamored with the idea of just hiring a John Gruden and and giving him that opportunity. I think that's the only coaching job he could get at this point. 
Uh, or it's going to take somebody in, and I don't think this is going to happen. Like Nick Saban has a wonderful reputation of sort of uh, rehabilitating coaches. He took Steve Sarkeesian, he took Lane Kiffin, and, and the blessing of the Pope down at Alabama was enough for people to go, okay, it's good or whatever. But I just think the sins of John Gruden are too big for any major program and anybody like that. No, like nobody's going to want to be associated with that. And that's on him. And And by the way, it's not what happened with those emails. You wrote them. And if you didn't write them, say I didn't write them. But we all know he wrote them. What came about? I don't know what came about when what I walked into that about? bank and robbed it. <laughs> I feel you like our, our kids are going to figure that one out at some point. Is there you know? any chance he gets back in the media? <sighs> that's a tough... That's hard. That's, I think that's even harder. Media. I think that's even harder. I think... Look, O.J. Simpson's got a Twitter account. Like... Like, let's start with that as, like, the bot, rock bottom. John Gruden could do his own YouTube channel. He, there would be an audience for it. No one would yeah. hire him. Media. Fox. You yeah. Know. But, yes. I mean, Urban Meyer, they put Urban Meyer on TV. I, yeah, so exactly. Why not? You know, but I think he's got a lot of work to do. And, and uh, as Anna said, I think there needs to be some contrition there before he can get there. Let's leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide. Leave it here. This is the BFT in the ATL, presented by Jamba. Smoothies, juices, and bowls. Jamba is always the right play on 750 The Game. I'm in Atlanta, where Oregon and Georgia are playing. Uh, in a football game on Saturday. It's a big game. I can't believe we're, we're here. It's September 1st, guys. It's September 1. We've been talking about this football game that's happening Saturday, September 3rd, since Stan Lanning got hired, practically. And Georgia won the national championship. And here it is. It is upon us. Uh, I'm excited. There are a lot of Oregon fans that are going to be heading out here. There's already some Oregon Ducks fans here. If you're just tuning in, Anna and I were out and about in Atlanta today, we ran into a whole bunch of Duck fans and uh, a couple of Georgia fans. But more, I think I saw more Duck fans than Georgia fans. Oh, for sure. I mean, but if anything, the Duck fans are representing. Like, they're just head to toe in, <laughs> in uh, green and yellow. <laughs> do you think uh, they're just easily, they're more easily recognizable? Or do you think there actually are more Duck fans that are visible here early in the week. I think that they're just more visible because they're very proud to be here and they want to show everybody that they're here, you know, repping for the team. So I, I don't necessarily think that the Georgia fans are walking around with all that merch on just yet. I also think, it. Let, let's talk about, like, the location of this game. I mean, it's in Atlanta. The, George, the diehard Georgia fans working today. The Oregon fan who is motivated enough to go, hey, I'm going to make this a vacation, is not probably not as inclined to be sitting home here on Wednesday. They're, they're flying out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and they're getting to Atlanta, and they're going to the College Football Hall of Fame, and they're walking around Centennial Park, and they're eating at Margaritaville. <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, that's true. So I think, I don't know. I, I envy the fan, the college football fan, who looks at the schedule at the beginning of the season and goes, that's the game I'm going to. And I see you, fan, 
whether you're an Oregon State fan, Oregon fan, Washington fan, doesn't matter. I've seen you over the years. Even when I covered Notre Dame back in the day as a beat reporter or Indiana or Purdue or whatever, I saw you guys. And I'm, i i got to tell you, I am envious of the fact that you have that ability or maybe that inclination because it's not all that different from the Dragon Con people who are dressing up and walking around downtown Atlanta dressed as superheroes. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> uh, no, like similar theme. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I admire the passion of fans that travel like that because you can tell it's a big deal to them to be here. I'm excited to see them, you know, in mass at the stadium and flying their colors and just being proud to be an Oregon fan. And let's face it, I mean, they're coming to a game where, like, the odds are not in their favor, right? So that's what makes it even more meaningful to me that they're here because they're devoting their d- discretionary income to travel here and support their team uh, in a way that it, that I really, I do admire. We're minding our business. We're sitting at the table at Margaritaville. Jimmy Buffett, thank you. And uh, I was eating some fish tacos. And uh, I feel like I'm near the beach when I'm in a Margaritaville. <laughs> and I get it. It's a chain. I know. It's not that far removed from Applebee's. <laughs> but. Know. We were in a pinch, and we were on foot, and yeah. it was hot outside, and it looked very inviting. Um, so we go into Margaritaville. The Trey, who's a longtime BFT listener, is probably listening to the show while here in Atlanta. Mosey's over to the table, and he says, who do you think is going to win? And I want to tell him I think Oregon's going to win, but I'm not a liar. So <laughs> I told him, look, I think they can play close. I think they'll play within the 17.5 points. I think this could be a one-score game in the third quarter. And he said, look, I'm not that kind of Duck fan, meaning he's not delusional. (laughs) But he said, I think they're going to be in this one. Do you have to believe that to be here? Or can you just come along and go, look, we realize this is a, you know, uh, I don't know what the money line is on this game. Steven, you probably know it off the top of your head. (laughs) But it feels like it's about about a five or six to one shot for Oregon winning this game. Yeah, last I looked, it was uh, just above six, plus 600. Okay. I'll, I'll check out the official one right now. Yeah, because I just wonder at what number that starts to get interesting for for people who are rational. Because Duck fan who's not rational is going to go, we're going all the way, we're going 12-0. and 0. And you know what? I don't blame you. If you're that person, it's okay. You're a la- this, isn't, this isn't your tax return. This isn't your job. This isn't, you know... You deciding at a four-way stop that, hell, you're just going to go for it because, you know, who cares who's first? You know, this is you going, hey, I'm going to be blind in one area of my life. It's going to be my allegiance to my team. I'm a little bit okay with that, with you losing your mind over it. I've been in this world. It's okay. I can't operate that way because I get laughed off the face of the earth. But last year, I called two upsets, and i got to be honest with you. Early season, I called Oregon State to beat USC. I called Oregon to beat Ohio State. I was a little nervous in those games that I was going to look stupid, even though I felt good about the team's chances. So I relate a little bit with that fan, that delusional fan in that way, because I felt like I had crawled out a little bit on the limb in those two games. Now, I spent the rest of the season with people telling me what a genius I am. If Oregon wins this game, you're going to tell me how stupid I am that I picked against them. Yeah. I think they can be in this game. I'm looking at them right now. You can get a plus 640. Okay. That feels about right. When does it get interesting to you, Stephen? At what number would you go, eh, throw 20 bucks on it? 
Yeah, I mean, 640 is pushing it. I mean, because you talked about it this last year. I mean, they went on the road when not a lot of people thought they would beat Ohio State. You were one of them, but not a lot of people thought they would go and win. They really dominated that game from the get-go. I mean, what's to say they couldn't do that again? I think if it got up to you know, 700, I think that's when I'd really be looking at 800 for sure. It looks, I mean, it's just interesting as you go into that area. And, and you know, I haven't looked if I can wager on college games in the state of Georgia. Uh, but I know in the state of Oregon, it's one of the ongoing frustrations. I want to hear from you. If you want to weigh in on the Oregon-Georgia game, here's your chance. I'm in Atlanta doing this radio show. You're along for the ride. You're here with me. It's like, you know, 90 to 91 degrees today outside in Atlanta. It's humid. But, uh, you know, I'm telling you, it's now 83. It's 8.32 p.m. It's 83 degrees and humid here in Atlanta. The football game will be Saturday. I want your phone calls on it. 503-417-7575. The BFT in the ATL. John Canzano is on 750 The Game. I'm in Atlanta. The BFT is in the ATL, so to speak, uh, doing this radio show from the great studios of 92.9 The Game, the Falcons and Atlanta Braves flagship station. I'm in downtown Atlanta. Anna's here in the studio. I have dragged her along for the ride. Uh, I want to hear from you, Duck fan, especially Georgia fan, anybody casually interested in this game, 503-417-7575. Big football game on Saturday. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Pat is on McLaughlin Boulevard. That is very specific, Pat, where you are. Welcome to the program. Yeah. Hey, uh, John and, and Anna, my, uh, my kid's in Atlanta right now. He's uh, cost me 1500 bucks for a ticket. Man, that's, that's a lot for a non-direct uh, flight. I mean, that's. Just for the flight you're talking about. Yeah, just the flight. He had to pay the, the ticket. But, uh, hey, actually, I, w- I want to talk to Anna about something, if I could. You know, she's a you know real pro, of course, when it comes to TV. You know, this Big Ten thing, Anna, I'm kind of wondering, how important is it, you know, to have eyeballs on the TV other than, say, brand recognition? Because if that's the case, I mean, I'm not so sure that the Big Ten wouldn't go for Washington you know, before Oregon, because, heck, there's, you know, there's a lot more eyeballs up there, you know, a lot higher income. Um, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, they might want Stanford and, and Washington as opposed to Oregon. I mean, how important is it, Anna? Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about that? television in general, Anna, because yeah, I think you could speak to that, because in this world of expan- conference expansion, the TV executives are really valuing market size. I've heard fans talk about ratings. I've heard them talk about brand. I've heard them talk about on-field success. But in a, from a TV standpoint, you know, give us an idea when you guys were in those meetings in the TV world, what were you talking about? Uh, it's all about the designated market area, designated media area. DMA. In, DMA. And, uh, and that matters uh, almost, I think, more than the brand, really. So when you look at uh, Seattle, with the Huskies playing up in Seattle, Seattle would be more valuable than the Portland-Eugene market, certainly, because of their market size outranking uh, Portland. 
You know, as far as DMA, Seattle, Tacoma, that market is at 14. And so that is much higher. Like if you think of Los Angeles, Chicago, New York as being, you know, the top media markets, Seattle hits at 14 and Portland is at what, John? Uh, Portland's at 25. 25. So it used to be 22. It's now dropped down to 25. Charlotte in Raleigh uh, past Portland. In the DMA world. Interesting. So, and so that yeah. so we're just talking about the number of available television households that that certain market covers. And when it comes to the realignments and, um, you know, the, the media package payouts, that is the king. That's what they're looking at more than just about anything else. Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Network, who I've talked to a whole bunch in the last couple of months, said, you know, I asked him about ratings, eyeball, actual eyeballs on games, because Oregon gets more eyeballs on games than anybody else in the Pac-12 in recent history. Uh, and their brand is strong. And he said those things matter. They, are, they, are, they will put you over the top, all things being approximately equal. But when you're talking about Portland's DMA plus the adjacent markets, you're only talking about 1.8 million households. By comparison... When you talk about, let's say, USC, UCLA, LA is worth about five and a half million households. The adjacent market's another two million. You're talking about seven million households. So you're talking about almost a seven to two ratio of the LA schools versus uh, Oregon. But I think the reason why Oregon and Washington get grouped together is one, you've got geographic proximity, two, you've got the brand of Oregon, the brand of Washington. Not bad. Those are the only two programs that have played in the college football playoff in this era from the Pac-12. And then beyond that, you have Seattle's market size. Um, you mentioned market 14. You're right. Uh, they are worth 1.8 million households just for Seattle, uh, about 2.5 million if you take the surrounding uh, markets. The best analogy that I can come up with, you know, to help people understand that, because all of us want to think about the brand, right, and how strong that can be. But, like, if you think about um, a political campaign, like a presidential campaign, when it comes down to the wire, who does, who do they want? They want, they want the biggies. They want Florida. They want Texas. They want New York. They want California. It's that same kind of mentality when it comes to the advertisers basically driving the bus. Because when advertisers and the agencies, you know, that, that do advertising want to try and sell a particular game or a playoff game or, you know, just a whole season of games, they're looking at, you know, what can we sell to the advertisers who want to market their products to the broadest market possible. And that 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 is what is driving those decisions. Let's go to the phone lines. 503-417-7575 is the number. Mike is in Portland. Mike, uh, welcome to the conversation. Say, hey, John, um, I want to come from a perspective uh, of the uh, Georgia uh, football players. You know, um, when I sit back and hear people talk about this game, they're all giving their point of view, but nobody is talking about the point of view from the Georgia football fans. And as I was listening to them, Kirby Smart let the Georgia fan of football players give interviews before this game. The Ducks football players haven't gave any interviews, which means that Lannon is not confident enough in his football players to do that, as opposed to Kirby Smart. He let his players give preseason interviews. 
And what they're saying is that when they look across the uh, to the other side, they say they don't see faces. They say they only see numbers. And the football players are saying they were fans of the Georgia football uh, program before they even came to that college, which is which is very um, give you very a lot of insight into their thinking. So Kirby Smart players are leaders. That's why he let them talk. uh, Lannon, he doing all the talking. So therefore, he's not giving his players, um, he's not letting them be uh, leaders. He's doing all the talking. So for me, I see right now that the Georgia football uh, players, man, they're going to blow Oregon out, out, of the, out of the waters because they're leaders, they're, they're talking, they're giving you insight. And you know what one Georgia football player said? He said, offense sells tickets, but defense wins games. This is coming from Georgia football players giving their analysis of what's going to happen. Anyway, man, I appreciate yeah. you letting me talk. Yeah, yeah talk you, of course. I, you get the platform, but I, I, I'm going to tell you, like, I've heard – a ton of Oregon players speak in the last month. I mean, here's Noah Sewell talking about Justin Flo. I pray, I pray he stays healthy. I pray he stays healthy because he could do some crazy things on the field that I've never seen before. His motor is top tier. He, his energy just, I wish you guys could like switch cleats and be on the field with Justin Flo. Justin Flo will make the play. I know that if I look to my left, I see Justin, Looking scary, I know that he's going to do his job, and I don't have to worry. So I'm, I'm excited. I, I mean, you know, I've heard a bunch of Oregon players talk, but I also know Kirby Smart doesn't let his coordinators talk. You know, we had Chip Towers from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on the show earlier in the week, and he said, look, uh, he only got to talk to Dan Lanning twice last season because Kirby Smart won't let his coordinators talk. It's not a trust thing as much, but... Uh, I don't know. Look, Georgia's good. Georgia's physical. They're defending national champions. Um, I expect them to do some talking. But I I feel like this game has a chance to be closer than the 17.5-point spread. I, in fact, I'm, I've been saying that for a solid five, six weeks. I feel it. Uh, Jesse's in Klamath Falls listening on the great 960 AM. Jesse, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John, you know who was doing a lot of talking was that caller. Um, <laughs> go Ducks. I'm, I'm a big duck honk, and I, I won't say that I have, like, a ton of warm fuzzies to say that we're going to go in there and win. And what I think the keys are is, like, football rhetoric. If we can move the football in the trenches, if we can run the ball and we can move their big bodies – we can win the game, and we stand a very good chance uh, to at least make it close or be in the game. So the key is always going to be the offensive and the defensive lines for both of us. And then, of course, we have some phenomenal linebackers. But that's going to be the key. And I think it's underrated, or not a lot of people are talking about it, but I think it's important that Lanning knows the ins and outs of that program because it's not like they reinvented their entire program and systems in one year since he came out west, right? Yeah. So knowing that inside and out, that's pretty impressive, and it's going to come to our advantage, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and one more thing, as a Duck fan, go Beavs. I'm excited for that evening game. I really need them to get that win and be relevant, and let's get this rivalry back. 
Yeah, I think, look, I it's really interesting. I, I'm going to be honest, you know, I talked to Jonathan Smith this week kind of off air, and he said to me, he said, what game are you going to? And I said, I'm going to Atlanta. I almost feel bad. You know, I'm not going to be at your game. It's like one of my kids asking me, you know, who's get, are you coming to my soccer game? No. Jonathan Smith said, are you, are, you know, what game are you going to? I said, I'm going to Atlanta. I said, I'll be with your team in week two. I'll be in, in Fresno to see you play Fresno State. And, and he said, you know, I'm rooting for Oregon. And I thought, it, I thought it was really interesting that he offered that up. And he's not the only Pac-12 coach that I spoke with in the last two weeks that told me that they're pulling for Oregon. I do think the conference as a whole feels like they have been attacked by the Big Ten, by the SEC, by the Big 12, by the media members nationally who have called the Pac-12 a garbage conference. And Oregon, Utah, and Oregon State in particular this week have an opportunity to do something about it. And I do think that the coaches around the conference are all looking at those programs going, go plant the flag for the conference. Go do something good for the conference. And, and you know, normally you don't see the coaches paying much attention to what's going on in the other games. But I think this week is very different. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. You've got the home of the truth, the BFT with John Canzano, live from Atlanta on 750 The Game. Live from Atlanta, I am in the studios of 92.9 The Game. I'm getting a lot of grief on my cell phone from my friends for eating at uh, Margaritaville while out here. On this trip, Anna says she. What you're? I'm. You're surprised that I told people that. Uh, yeah, I was a little shocked that you admitted that publicly, just because yeah. Atlanta is like this incredible yeah. food scene. Yeah, my friends are sending me all their restaurant recommendations. Uh, we did go to a restaurant last night, guys. That was fantastic. It's called Two Licks, right? Two Two, two Urban Licks. Two Urban Licks. I don't know what it means, but the food was amazing. They had salmon chips, like chips that were piled with smoked salmon. It was really good. I had uh, the brisket. Because I said, I said, what are you known for? And they said, the brisket. And I said, that's what I'm ordering. So there you have it. So I, I'm not a total uh, idiot when it comes to eating. <laughs> but I did have lunch at Margaritaville. <laughs> Maybe Applebee's tomorrow? <laughs> Who knows? There's this Italian place. It's <laughs> called, uh, what is it? Sabaro? Sabaro. Oh, yes. <laughs> Terrific Italian place. I heard they have a great spaghetti and meatball there. <laughs> we'll have to get the breadsticks. We'll splurge. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Chris is in Woodburn. Wants to talk about the Georgia-Oregon game. Chris, welcome. Hey, John and Anna. Thanks for the call. Um, I think Mike ought to not partake in whatever he's partaking in when he makes phone calls to the station. <laughs> and if, Secondly, if he doesn't like Oregon schools, or Oregon sports teams, he had to move out of the state. That's why they play the game. I think it's going to be a good game, and at the end of the day, we'll take whoever wins. You know, I think both coaching staffs have their teams prepared, and I think it's going to be a great football game. It's not going to be a boat race. I don't know where, what, what planet he just stepped off of, but he needs to wake up and smell the cappuccino. Look, I'm not a big fan of telling people they should move out of state if they don't agree or did, you know, it, it's a free country. It's okay. But if you're going to come on the show and you're going to spout that kind of rhetoric, you better be prepared for what is going to follow. And what always follows after that is the, you know, the market doesn't lie. The audience will keep you honest. It's, you know, this isn't a message board or a chat room. It's a radio show. 
And um, I I don't I won't begrudge anybody who thinks that Georgia is going to cover the seventeen and a half points. You could build that argument pretty easily. They're playing at home. They're the defending national champions. They've got a quarterback coming back who's coming off a great year. They're tight end sensational. Their defensive line has size. It's an SEC opponent. Oregon's traveling across the country. Dan Lanning's coaching his first ever game. I get it. You can build that argument pretty easily. But the way I see this game is it is week one, and weird stuff happens in week one. It is Oregon with a pretty good defensive front seven playing against Georgia, who put a bunch of players in the NFL draft. I don't think Georgia is going to be anywhere near as good as they were a year ago. So you have to caution people from pitting last year's Georgia team against this year's Oregon team. Well, that that would have been a boat race. It would have. But I kind of feel like there could be a, a little bit of an advantage here for Oregon. I'm not picking them to win the game, but I think they can play within the 17.5-point spread. Anna, you brought up a great point in the commercial break is, you know, we went to break. You said something out loud. Go ahead. Well, my thing is, what is the harm in hoping? I mean, especially if you're a diehard Oregon fan, like why go into the game, you know, overly pragmatic and just kind of with like this, this half glass full, like half empty kind of attitude. Why not? What is the harm in going in with the hope and riding the emotion of that hope. Like, isn't that kind of what sports is all about? Is because this is not quite a David and Goliath situation, right? Because, like, Oregon isn't, like, the David with, like... And, a, and Georgia's not Goliath here. Like, this isn't... We are the defending national But champions. that was last year. Look at all the players they lost. I think they have eight new players on defense who haven't played a snap yeah. in, in the SEC or anywhere else. And so... Yeah, I mean they're five-star recruits. They're six-five, three twenty, and you know they can they can run like a deer. But it's it's still like there's a learning curve there, and that's why I like week one. I you know I said to a coach earlier this week, I said you know you want to play these games in week one, not week six, and they said yeah because you're you're not going to get Georgia's best punch potentially. Well, and as Jesse from Kalamath Falls pointed out, uh, you know, there is an advantage to have having Dan Lanning, who understands the Georgia playbook, you know, who knows that that uh, scheme inside and out to have him as Oregon's coach going in like that. That's a secret weapon, I think. Don't you? If you want to read me, you can read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. I want you to check it out there. I will have another column from Atlanta. I posted twice today. If you are subscribed, you got it immediately, your email inbox. Tomorrow I'll be posting as well a couple of times. I uh, encourage you to check that out. We are back tomorrow with another great show. If you didn't get on air today, there's a few people left holding. Call back tomorrow. We're going to take a ton of phone calls on tomorrow's show. And, you know, we'll set the scene from Georgia. The bald-faced truth is here in Atlanta. We're back tomorrow with another great show.